It is now time for the Royal Rumble Runner-Up Retrospective, otherwise known as Second Place is the First Loser this week here on Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenluth, and we're going to be discussing the runners-up from Royal Rumbles 1988 all the way to 2003 in Part 1 of Second Place is the First Loser this week. We'll be discussing the likes of the one-man gang, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase, Mr. Perfect, the awesome Earthquake, Sid Justice, the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh-huh, yeah, dig it, uh-huh, the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, and Head Shrinker Fatu, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, Brett the Hitman Hart, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Big Show, The Big Red Machine Kane, Kurt Angle, and The Phenom, The Undertaker. All this week in part one of second place is the first loser. Royal Rumble runner-up retrospective here on Kicking Out It 2. Once again, I am your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all so very much for being a part of this special edition of Kicking Out It 2 this week as we are on the march to WrestleMania. And we start that march with the Royal Rumble, and I thought it would be rather fitting if we discuss not the winners of the Royal Rumble, but the second place guys, the runners-up, the guys who don't get the credit, the guys who are the final picture in the elimination and the story that is told of the Royal Rumble each and every year. Some of those individuals, do I think they could have been better Royal Rumble winners than runners-up? Yes, and I'm going to get into that this week with my good buddy Chris Donovan, but however... There's a lot to discuss before we get into this week's topic, so I thought it'd be fitting that we bring back the roll call this week. Um, just some stuff I want to get off my chest, some things that have taken place in the world of wrestling uh, that, that I, I just wanted to unload on all of you. So hopefully you guys are all ready and willing to, 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 to take it from me. And uh, before we do that, before we get into the roll call, be sure to be with us on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have, tell a friend to hit that like button that loves to talk throwback pro wrestling at its finest. The glory days, the 80s, the 90s, and the mid to early 2000s. Tell them to hit that like button and be a part of all the fun. We got debates and discussions, funny pictures, memes. Uh, we, we drop uh, links to the archives on soundcloud.com we got so much going on over there. Be a part of all that fun. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. The same goes for Twitter. We are on the Twitter machine, as they would like to say. Our handle is at kicking out two. K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. Give us a follow and be a part of the kicking out at two crew over on the Twitter. Same thing's going on over there, but just 140 characters or less. And actually, you know, i got to come up with a new uh, tagline when it comes to promoting our social media because I'm sure you guys are probably sick of the same old shit so at some point throughout 2019 i'm going to evolve as i advertise the um social media here on kicking out it too all right we got the social media out of the way uh let, let's get into the roll call this week before we discuss uh royal rumble runners up with chris donovan uh first and foremost uh i wanted you know at the time of last week's recording i recorded the january um our, our show last week, the Trading Places, uh, Finger Poke of Doom versus Mick Foley's world title win from January 4th, 1999. I recorded that a few days after Christmas, and uh, at that time, All Elite Wrestling was not announced. It was it, I, I had no idea it was going to take place. Well, I shouldn't say I had no idea it was going to take place, but it was not officially announced. It wasn't officially made you know, public to the masses. Of course, New Year's Eve, New Year at the stroke of midnight, 
It was announced on the Being the Elite episode that uh, Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Adam Page were going to be uh, doing this venture into uh, professional wrestling on their own. They were free agents with help from the Khan family who owned the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. And there was a lot of buzz going, you know, surrounding it. And, of course, they announced the, uh, the big uh, rally that was set to take place on uh, January the 8th, earlier this week. And as we saw at this rally, um, a lot of things went down. We saw uh, SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, and Christopher Daniels all signed to uh, AEW. Bad Boy Joey Janela, MJF from uh, MLW Fusion, who's got a bright future in this business. He's one of the true heels in wrestling, in today's current wrestling, and uh, he's going to be a part of AEW. We saw um, Britt Baker, Dr. Britt Baker, by the way, uh, the first female that was announced as a part of, um, as, a, as a talent and a part of AEW, uh, the, the girlfriend of WWE NXT's Adam Cole, baby. Um She's going to be a part of AEW. And, of course, the, the, the big shocker, well, I shouldn't say, well, there are two, actually. Uh, ne- former WWE superstar Neville, who, is, who many of you probably know as Pac on the, uh, on the indie scene, he's now going to be a part of AEW. He made a surprise appearance, uh, cutting a promo and having a face-to-face with uh, Hangman Adam Page. And then Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho shocked us all at the end. Well, I shouldn't say shocked us all because people had their ideas and heard rumors that Jericho was going to be involved in this. Jericho announced he was all in with All Elite Wrestling. He even posted a video on his social media page not too long after that with uh, Tony Khan, uh, you know, the, the, the vice president and CEO of All Elite Wrestling, and uh, posted that video of signing the contract, the official contract signing on his social media and on AEW social media. So that was pretty cool to see. And uh, some, some big announcements came from that press conference and that rally, too. One was not a TV deal, uh, but there have been rumors that a TV deal is, is in discussion in the works. And there's a few networks that have shown some strong interest. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out what takes place when it comes to that. But the um, Double or Nothing... Uh, event, which is the sequel to All In, set to take place May 25th from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. You'll also see the, the, the StarCast convention in conjunction with Double or Nothing set to take place. My my uh, my, my idol, so to speak, Conrad Thompson, uh, a guy who his podcasts and his way of podcasting influenced me to do this podcast. He's going to be a part of that once again. The brainchild behind the very first StarCast is going to be back for StarCast 2. And then uh, there were some other uh, pretty groundbreaking announcements when it comes to uh, this company, uh, AEW, uh, by Cody and the Young Bucks. Uh, they announced that um, there's going to be a show before. I don't know if it's going to be before Double or Nothing or maybe following this event, but it's going to be a special charity event. And it's going to take place in Jacksonville, Florida, the site of where this rally took place earlier this week. Um, and the the event, the, the the a large portion of the gate, the uh, the the they're going to be receiving is going to go towards uh, victims of gun violence, which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, you can have your debates on whether you're pro gun or anti gun. You can save that for somewhere else, but. Um, the fact that you know these guys and this company is going to do something like that and they're going to donate the proceeds of this event to victims of gun violence 
hats off to you. I mean, that's that that's awesome, and you can't knock that, in my opinion, whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun. And I'm just going to leave it at that when it comes to the uh, the, the the hot button topics in 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 our society, because this is a pro wrestling podcast. This is not a political podcast. So just leave it at that. And then uh, another uh, a, a big eye opener for me as a fan was um, Brandy Rhodes, Cody Rhodes's wife. She's the um, the chief brand officer of All Elite Wrestling. She announced um, the uh, not only the signing of Britt Baker, but also announced that there's other uh, uh, female athletes um, internationally that are going to be making their way to All Elite Wrestling, and announced that. Um, there's not going to be a sliding pay scale based on gender anymore. That women are going to be paid as equal as the men, which is a huge, huge deal. Because in the last several months, probably the last year or so, with the Me Too movement in, in pop culture and in Hollywood and, and women wanting equal pay, um, it, it, it definitely is going to set the standard for wrestling. Um, and I think that's pretty cool, too. I mean, the, the women work just as hard as the men, so I don't see why not. I don't see why they can't get paid just as much as the guys, so I think that's pretty cool. And then, of course, the Khan family publicly spoke up discussing plans of, uh, of uh, health benefits and treating these wrestlers as employees and paying them very well to, to, to go out there and perform. And so, um, I mean... As far as I'm concerned, they're saying and doing all the right things, and hopefully they can deliver on all these promises, and I think they will. I mean, they've done a pretty good job of delivering on all their promises in the last uh, in the last several, in the last few years since Cody and the Bucks and these guys have gotten together. So I see nothing but good things for it. It's good for the business. It's another place for people to work, and um, I, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm as excited as I was when I was a teenager when I used to channel surf and, and flip back and forth between Raw and Nitro. Um, my only, my only thing about this venture is we've seen a lot of different companies in the last 15, 16, 17 years that have taken the, the steps to try and compete with the big bad WWE. And I wouldn't say they failed miserably, but they've fallen short. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to go out here and give these guys advice. Like I know anything and I don't, but I, what I think Based off of their philosophy and this change the world philosophy that Cody and the Bucks have and all these guys from the elite is that they need to they need to go a different approach. A TV deal's great, and I'm not saying that it's not whatsoever, but um, if they're talking about like, you know, taking care of their wrestlers and health care and the well being of their wrestlers, um, I could see this all elite promotion being seasonal. Where you give guys time off and you can and, and they go hard for, you know, let's say six, eight months and they get like three, four, maybe even five months off and and, and then a new season takes place like like a sitcom on television. Um, you know, I can see stuff like that. And if you're including the health insurance and, and, and things of that nature, I mean, you know, treating them as employees. Eventually, I heard something about possibly they want to institute 401ks that, you know, the stigma of old, broken down broke wrestlers that are hurting to make a living after their glory days have been long behind them, I think that stigma needs to be broken in wrestling. I think we need to see a new... Um, uh, we need to see a new era of how things are done in the business. And these guys want to change the world, and I'm all for it. I, I'm, I look forward to, to being a part of the ride and, 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 and seeing how well this develops. I'm a wrestling fan, and I like all wrestling. I like the good and I like the bad, you know. I'll watch as much as I can between WWE and Ring of Honor and New Japan and Impact. And now we got another one with All Elite Wrestling. 
I, I can't see any bad with their uh, their arrival onto the scene, and I just really look forward to seeing what they got planned and, and how they're going to develop this project uh, over the course of uh, this next year or so. So that's my take on All Elite Wrestling. Um, something else that came up this week, uh, you know, I, I, got, I, I gave you guys uh, my thoughts and my reflections on the passing of the late great Mean Gene Oakland, and as I was recording that, um, at the time it wasn't known uh, how he had passed, unfortunately. Uh, Okerlund had suffered a fall at his home, and he was taken to a, a nursing home facility, and I guess his health had been declining in the last several weeks or even months, and so, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, as, as, as Gene Okerlund said, you know, if they call my number, uh, and, and the big house definitely called his number, but um, regarding the late great mean Gene Okerlund, I want to discuss a certain dirt sheet writer that I feel disrespected the late, great Mean Gene Oakland, and that's Ryan Satin. Uh, it was announced late last week that WWE was going to be bringing in Hulk Hogan to pay um, pay tribute to Mean Gene on Monday Night Raw, which, by the way, I thought was an excellent tribute. Um, probably one of the best ones they've ever done. The video package and even the way Hogan um, had, uh, had, had addressed it and how they presented it with Hogan's involvement. Um, this was all about Mean Gene, and people were afraid that Hogan's involvement was going to be all about him. It was even to the point when people, you know, on social media hours before Raw noticed that WWE was plugging his merchandise, um, you know, talking about how disrespectful it was to the late great Mean Gene. I thought it was pretty disrespectful that Ryan Satin, for the last, you know, several days, had gone on this big personal soapbox um, about his issues with Hulk Hogan. And how he felt it wasn't very genuine that Hogan was returning to honor his friend. Um, I think it's pretty shallow and 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 kind of bullshit, as a matter of fact. That you know he would he would question the the genuine nature of the act in and of itself of Hulk Hogan coming back to pay tribute to his friend, the late great Mean Gene Oakland. Now, as many of you know, I am a tried and true Hulkamaniac. He's the he's the he's the man that got me in, into wrestling, and I grew up watching him. He was you know he's he's one of my heroes and one of my all time favorites. And you know I I think he gets undeserved criticism at times. I think he brings some of that upon himself. But I think there's situations where he does um, you know get undeserved uh, backlash from from wrestling fans and dirt sheet writers. And to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I truly believe that um, in this situation, um, it was definitely undeserved. I mean, people have that much hatred for Hulk Hogan that they feel like he would be coming in and he would be benefiting himself as opposed to wanting to honor and pay respects to his friend, the late, great Mean Gene Oakland. I just don't understand it. And I felt like Ryan Satin uh, has, has a, uh, you know, he has a personal bias against Hogan. And if it's because of his racial remarks... I understand that, and everyone has a right to feel that way, and I don't condone what Hogan did, and I think what he did was wrong, but I also live in a world where I believe people deserve second chances. Everyone deserves a second chance. Hell, we've all made mistakes, and we and we all have wanted a second chance to redeem ourselves, and I think Hulk Hogan deserves one. I'm not saying trot Hulk Hogan out every week on Monday Night Raw and, and have him say sorry and, and be a part of all the main storylines, no, but in a situation like this, I thought it was very fitting, and, and nobody else could have probably done it better than him because of his close relationship with with the late great mean Gene Oakland. So um, 
you know, I, that's where I felt like Satin was disrespecting Gene Oakland was the fact that, you know, he was taking his personal bias towards Hulk Hogan and he was disregarding the fact that he's going to be there to pay respect to the late, great mean Gene Oakland. That's where there was a disconnect with me and him. And, and I've not been the biggest fan of Ryan Satin and his style of reporting, per se. Um, he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, he will... Uh, you know he he's he has a right to an he has a right to an opinion but sometimes i feel like his opinion is um is self-serving in some sense and you know he spent the whole week practically you know tickling the balls and 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 jerking the shaft of of all the guys from AEW which by the way a lot of people did that this week and I guess deservedly so. They deserved it because of the, the the way they've shaken up the wrestling world. But all week on social media, he's practically rim jobbing all those guys. And then once Hogan's name pops up and he's going to be a part of the Mean Gene tribute, all of a sudden he forgets about all that. He forgets about the fact that they're paying tribute to Mean Gene, and he just wants to, you know, he just wants to advertise his personal soapbox, uh, his Hulk Hogan soapbox, and disregard the late great Mean Gene Oka. And I just thought that was pretty fucked up. However, um, the tribute. You know, I thought it was awesome. Like I said, the video, the way it was presented, the promo Hogan did with, at the end with the "Let me tell you something, Mean Gene." That one last time, it was very fitting, and and it got me. You know, the video itself made me laugh and got me choked up all at once. And that's how talented of a guy Gene Oakland was. And that video also showed me like how much he loved life. You know, he loved to entertain. He loved to be around wrestling fans. He just loved what he was doing, and he and because he loved that. And me personally, I'll speak for myself, I felt like growing up watching him, I loved watching him because he had so much fun. I was having fun watching him. So, um, you know, once again, you know, my condolences to the family and friends of the late, great Mean Gene Oakland. Tribute was very well fitting. Uh, Hulk Hogan's participation on it, I thought, was, was, was done very well and didn't, you know, didn't take away from honoring the late, great Mean Gene Oakland. And for guys like Ryan Satin and the rest of the haters that have their opinions of Hulk Hogan, that's fine. You can have your opinions of Hulk Hogan, but don't do it at the expense of someone who's passed away. Fuck you. And that's my, that's, that's my, that's my statement regarding, you know, the, the, the Mean Gene Hulk Hogan tribute that Ryan Satin basically tried to shit all over. Uh, moving on, um, a lot of stuff's taking place in the world of wrestling this week. Uh, you know, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 13 was last week from the Tokyo Dome, and I didn't get to watch it live because um, I didn't get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I don't have New Japan World, but uh, <laughs> um, I managed to watch the AXS TV two-hour version that showed the uh, the, the Cody Rhodes uh, Juice Robinson match, the, the Jericho NATO match, and the Kenny Omega uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, IWGP heavyweight title match, and from what I saw, it was a solid show. Uh, I, I mean, the Cody and Juice match, I felt like it lacked something. It was missing something. I don't know what that what was, what that exactly was, but it just didn't connect with me. I have a feeling that had a lot to do with Cody's knee problems that he's been dealing with. Uh, apparently, he's set to go under the knife fairly soon to fix some some knee issues. So. Um, but nonetheless, it was a, it was a good outing from the two. But I just felt like there was just something missing about it. Um, the the Jericho NATO match uh, had a lot of fun. No disqualification. Jericho brought this intensity about him, you know, and especially since he's uh, you know been running with New Japan the last year. This intensity about him that like I haven't seen since probably two thousand and eight when he had that angle with Shawn Michaels in WWE. 
and it was it was really cool and uh the, the match was good i enjoyed it and had a lot of fun watching it and then of course omega and tanahashi i've not been the biggest kenny omega fan i don't think the sun rises and sets with him although i'll get into him in a minute um regarding his future this match was awesome it was fun to watch and it wasn't like you know and, and I'll probably get crucified for saying this, but it wasn't like the the 90-minute the, the match he had with Okada uh, in that trilogy, in that series of matches that he had. Or I think it was I think it was almost 90 minutes. Anyhow, um, where I just felt like it was too much. Like, I was like, holy cow, like, they're busting their ass, but, like, man, like, when's this shit going to end? I thought it was a, a good amount of time with him and Tanahashi, and I really enjoyed it. Um... I haven't had a chance to see the rest of the show, although I spoke with um, Kobe Nida from Retromania and marking out the days. And Kobe told me to, uh, when he when when I get the time and the chance to to check out Abushi um, and and Will Osprey, I got to watch some of it. Haven't finished it yet. Life got in the way, unfortunately. There's this thing called life, and I have a job, and I have a wife, and things to do. Um, I, I, so I didn't get a chance to watch all of it. I heard it was a great match, and then I really want to see uh, Switchblade Jay White and Kazuchika Okada um, on that same card. So I'm going to have to check that out as well. Um, I heard nothing but good things about that match. But overall, I mean, Wrestle Kingdom, I think, was, a, you know, from what I hear, it was a success. And uh, so much so that they're going to turn into a two-day event next year in 2020 um, from the Tokyo Dome. So I'll be interested to see how they how they plan and how they produce that. Um, New Japan's going through a little bit of a transition. They lost some of those big names like Cody and the Bucks to All Elite Wrestling. They still got that that partnership with Ring of Honor that's going to send them to the Garden in, in uh, WrestleMania weekend for the G1 Supercard. So. Um, but they're reshuffling the deck with Omega being gone and a lot of these elite guys being gone. Um, so it's uh, it's a very interesting time for New Japan Pro Wrestling. But uh, especially with their expansion into the United States, they announced more dates for like Dallas, Texas, Los Angeles, California, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I think there's some more Southern California dates coming up later in the year. So it's a uh, it's a very interesting time for for not only just wrestling fans but New Japan fans and, and seeing where their company is going to go. Um, I feel like when it comes to them, um, they're gonna they're gonna be in need of some North American star power if they want to bridge that gap and really make a hard transition uh, internationally. So, and I'll get into that aspect of the conversation in a few moments. Um, another uh, another uh, big. Uh, a week in wrestling came for Impact Wrestling with their homecoming event at the Nashville Fairgrounds where they used to tape the weekly TNA pay-per-views. Um, I got to watch a little bit of that. I watched the, the Monsters Ball with Abyss and Eli Drake. I got to watch the women's match with Tessa Blanchard and Taya Valkyrie. I'll tell you, that Tessa Blanchard, man, um, you know, she bet on herself and she's she's uh, trying to rebuild the women's division within Impact Wrestling and I think she's been doing a great job. Imagine what she could have been in WWE with this women's evolution with the likes of Ronda and Charlotte and Becky. I mean, to me, Tessa's on fire right now. She's one of the best female uh, athletes in all of professional wrestling and she's only been doing it for, I think, like four or five years and she's... She's a pro. I mean, I loved watching her dad, Tully Blanchard, one of my favorites. 
Uh, and so, I mean, it's she's got that wrestling pedigree in her, and she's still young, and she's going to be ten times better in the next two or three years, I truly believe. So I'm looking forward to seeing how well she progresses. She ended up uh, losing the Impact Women's uh, Wrestling Championship to Taya Valkyrie with a little bit of help from guest referee Gail Kim. It was a pretty fun match. I really enjoyed it. And then... Uh, the, the, the match of the night for me, in my opinion, was LAX versus uh, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix, the Lucha Brothers. Uh, wild stuff and another case where tag team wrestling is marketable and tag team wrestling is, is not dead in all of wrestling. And uh, these two teams tore it up. And uh, I heard that they're going uh, to be facing off against each other at uh, House of Glory in New York. Uh, in, the, in the next month or two, I want to say I think it's February that they're gonna that they're scheduled to meet. So, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what these two teams do on you know on television as well with Impact Wrestling. So, and then finally, of course, the future of Kenny Omega. We end this roll call this week addressing where is Kenny Omega going to land. Uh, he announced uh, via Tokyo Sports that he was leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling, which apparently New Japan was not aware of until they read the article. Um, and he's either going to the WWE or he's going to All Elite Wrestling. Uh, the rumors are is that WWE offered him a big, big contract. Some have said they offered him three point five million dollars, creative control, um, a, a chance to 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 have a YouTube show with video game licensing and all this other stuff. And I'm sorry, I don't buy all that stuff. Um, I think it's bullshit. But you know, people are going to go out there and, and make stuff up so that you know individuals like myself click on it to see if it's true or not i didn't believe it when i read the headline but then when i read the story i was like oh it's total bullshit anyhow um regarding omega um they did a story on the being the elite episode the youtube series uh with kenny omega's lost phone and there was a countdown and the countdown i don't know when it's supposed to i think it's supposed to end I think February 1st, when Omega's contract is officially up with New Japan Pro Wrestling at the end of January. And uh, I, I don't think, um, here, bottom line is, where do I see Kenny Omega going? I see him going to All Elite Wrestling. I can't see him going to WWE. Um, I can't see the Elite guys investing time into him on their YouTube show, only for the results and the outcome to be, hey guys, I'm going to WWE, I'll see you later. I just can't see it happening. Um, as, as, as great of friends as they are, they're gonna, they're not gonna let that take away from the launch of their company. And, you know, I, I truly believe he's gonna be a part of AEW. Um, my good buddy BZ Carter over at Pro Wrestling Edge, you can go check them out on Facebook. Uh, it's a great little, uh, wrestling discussion group on Facebook. Uh, Kelly McClarty, I think I fucked her name up, I'm so sorry. Um, Kelly McClarty? McCarthy, I think that's it. I'm so sorry. She's probably going to be like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, her, uh, Tito, BZ, my brother Justin, a few other guys that are part of that group. Um, we've been kind of talking about the future of where Kenny Omega is going to go. And um, I just feel like, um, you know, AEW is, 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 a, is a good fit for him. BZ brought up a great point. Um, Omega is such an artist that the challenge of for him would going to WWE would them offering him the chance to change the culture and the landscape of how they do things and kind of them 
giving him the ball and running with it and seeing if, if his brand and style of wrestling and his presentation as a character is something that can appeal to the masses within WWE's fan, you know, you know, their fan base. And BZ brought that point up and I was like, that's actually pretty interesting. However, you know, this is Vince McMahon we're talking about here and he don't move mountains for anyone. So I really truly believe that, um, as enticing as an offer they've probably given him, and I'm sure they have because I think he's 37 or 38 years old. I could be wrong. Um, you know, not saying that he's getting super old, but, you know, his style of wrestling, um, you know, certainly adds to the victory that Father Time is is surely going to win within the coming years. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, this might be a now or never situation with Omega when it comes to WWE. Um but with all elite, you know, he's got his buddies there, Cody and the Bucks, and he's one of those guys that I think he could be the perfect piece to the puzzle for all elite to eventually work with New Japan. Because as we as we know in the rumor mill out there in the dirt sheets, uh, all elite uh, they approached New Japan and Ring of Honor officials in Japan over the weekend during Wrestle Kingdom to discuss a working relationship. And New Japan and Ring of Honor said, we're going to stick together. We don't want to work with you right now. And things are cordial from what I've heard and from what I've read. But, um, you know, All Elite is, I guess, considered competition to Ring of Honor. And New Japan is considering All Elite competition as well. But Omega is that perfect piece to the puzzle because New Japan doesn't want to lose him. And like I had said earlier, I think he's that North American star that can help bridge that gap and help New Japan's international expansion, not only just here in the United States, but maybe even into Canada if they eventually want to, you know, plant their flag up north in the Great White North. So it's one of those situations where, you know, it's a very exciting time to be a wrestling fan and figure out who's going where and what. This is like 1999 all over again. This is like 20 years ago, um, but with Kenny Omega. So... We'll see where his future holds. Um, I was talking about this in a couple of group chats earlier this week. I feel like what the elite guys have done and what especially a guy like Omega has done to help expand New Japan and expand Ring of Honor, that I feel it would be in Ring of Honor and New Japan's best interest not only to work with them down the road. I understand why it's, it's wrestling. There's politics involved. Um, I, I get why they're not working with them, but I think it would be in their best interest to work with them in order for them all to grow and prosper. But me personally, with that with that Madison Square Garden show coming up during WrestleMania weekend, if AEW doesn't have any plans to do anything, whether it's a rally, another press conference, or maybe even like a little pop-up show, um, I think it would be pretty cool if, if, if those guys, the elite guys, and even Omega uh, had a spot on the MSG card. I mean, Cody's the only one out of that bunch that has worked Madison Square Garden. But you can't tell me that the Young Bucks, Omega, Adam Page, those guys, that that they didn't, number one, they, that they said, no, we would. it's not a big deal to work the garden. It's a big deal to work the garden, whoever you are in the wrestling business. It truly is. Whether you're a wrestler, a referee, a valet, a manager, a ring announcer, whatever the case may be, it's a big deal to work the garden. For me as a fan, going to the garden twice um, for a WWE house show in 2010 and then for the Hall of Fame when Bruno San Martino got inducted, it, it felt huge. I felt like I made it as a wrestling fan. Because it's the mecca. It's the mecca of professional wrestling and in many ways of a lot of sports and entertainment. So I can't buy the fact that those guys 
would pass up an opportunity. Um, I can't buy the fact that Ring of Honor and New Japan wouldn't want them to be a part of that show because I feel like that they are very, very, very crucial to their expansion and helping them get to where they are. I feel like a lot of fans bought tickets for that show, obviously to see the stars of Ring of Honor and New Japan, but a, a big portion of them bought tickets to see Young Bucks and Cody and Omega. Um, I really, truly feel that way, and I feel like it would be a nice gesture of good faith for those guys to, um, for Ring of Honor and New Japan, I should say, to, to offer a spot on the card for those guys, even if it's a special attraction match, like an eight-man or a ten-man tag or something like that, you know what I mean? I think they helped them get to the dance. I think they helped them get to where they are and, and were a big part of that, that expansion for New Japan internationally and for Ring of Honor, not only just internationally, but domestically as well, so... Um, hopefully, I'm hope I'm holding out hope that those guys work the MSG show because I think it would be pretty cool and would really add another feather to their cap for the great year that looks like it looks like they're gonna have with the launch of All Elite Wrestling. So yeah, Kenny Omega I think is going to AEW. Um, only time will tell when that when that announcement's made, but um, there's been rumors that he's already accepted the deal. Uh, he's just got to sign it once his deal with New Japan's up, and I believe he's. Uh, He's, uh, he's uh, turned down the deal that WWE had offered him, whatever that deal was. So we'll see what happens. But there you have it. That is this week's roll call. I know we went a little long with it, but there was just a lot of stuff I felt like I had to get covered. So without further ado, let's get into this week's topic. Joining me this week in part one of our Royal Rumble runner-up retrospective is my good buddy Chris Donovan, who you might remember from our My Favorites series, the very first one, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, SummerSlam 2002, which you can find over in the archives over at SoundCloud.com. Chris, thank you for joining me this week. It's a pleasure, Dave, but I do have to ask, yeah? since this, this is the runner-up podcast, was there someone else you wanted to do the show with over me? <laughs> Yeah, I eliminated him earlier, and then you just happened to pop out from under the ring, and I was like, oh, perfect. I got another candidate. So. Awesome. <laughs> but no, in all always se- hiding. No, in all seriousness, thank you for being on. And, uh, you know, there was ne- not necessarily a first choice per se, but, um, you know, you know you're wrestling, and, and that's why I have you on, and uh, we enjoy talking wrestling with you. So uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into it this week. But before we do, hit us up on social media. If you have not joined the fun already, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two hit that like button if you have not already if you have tell someone to hit the like button that knows all about the history of professional wrestling or loves the history of professional wrestling we got all kinds of great stuff over there debates and discussions pictures videos links to archive shows and so much more facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two and of course we are also on twitter our handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two the same fun and all that stuff we're doing over on facebook we're doing it on twitter but 140 characters or less. All right. Um, this week we're going to kind of, you know, break down uh, the paths that some of these runners-up in Royal Rumble history have gone through, at least in part one. From 1988 to 2003, we're going to go cover to cover, and we're going to kind of discuss were they good fits to be the runner-up, where their characters went in the short term following the Royal Rumble loss, and uh, would they have been better choices to win the Royal Rumble? We're going to take a little bit of the elements of our trading places concept and kind of adopt it into this this week. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, Royal Rumble winners get a lot of love over the years. Royal Rumble matches get a lot of love over the years when talking about the Royal Rumble. Even some of the undercard matches get a lot of love. But I thought, you know, here on Kicking Out of Two, I want to do something just a little bit different and discuss the uh, the runners-up and, and where they stand in Royal Rumble history as we approach the Royal Rumble coming up at the end of the month. Um, let's get started with 1988. It was Hacksaw Jim Duggan who won the very first Royal Rumble, televised Royal Rumble, mind you, because they did a little practice run a few times on the live event circuit. Uh, and he eliminated the one-man gang who was managed by the Doctor of Style Slick. Um, gang didn't really amount to much following this loss. Uh, he was... Um, he was involved in the WWF Championship Tournament at WrestleMania that year, losing yep. to the Macho Man. And then he just kind of faded away and returned as Akeem the African Dream. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on uh, One Man Gang, his path following this Royal Rumble loss, and would he have been a good fit to win the Royal Rumble match in 1988? I mean, I definitely think they got the call right on not having him win okay just because i don't think they were really convinced on his character obviously since they repackaged him so shortly after um i mean he did do some damage in that rumble match he i want to say eliminated probably like four or five six guys and uh yeah he eliminated quite a few guys and and, it's not to cut you off but this rumble was also only 20 guys yes. at the time. It Correct. was not 30. It was 20. So, but continue. And, yeah, no, I just think that uh, he, as, of, as of our list of the runner-ups, he's probably towards the bottom of overall talent and overall, like, what happened to them after the Rumble. So, yeah, I think the, I think, uh, the company got it right by not having him win. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's really nothing more I can say as far as the one-man gang. Um, he would go on, like I said, to, to, to be Akeem the African Dream for a couple of years, and then he kind of faded or, uh, faded away there and eventually uh, return, brought the one-man gang gimmick back, but he was in WCW for a brief period of time. So, uh, I mean, a, a Royal Rumble victory could have helped him, but like you said, they made the right choice not putting him as the winner of the Royal Rumble. Uh, let's move on to the next year the very first royal rumble to be held on pay-per-view uh in 1989 this time it had 30 individuals in the match and big john stud was the victor last eliminating the million dollar man ted dibiase now dibiase earlier in the evening had uh traded or bought uh a number from the Doctor of Style Slick, whether that was Big Boss Man or Akeem's number, DiBiase ended up as number 30 in the Rumble match, giving him a, uh, a large advantage. Obviously, it didn't help him because Big John Studd won the Royal Rumble match. And uh, following this loss to Ted, you know, for, you know, excuse me, following this loss um, that DiBiase had suffered, he didn't really do quite a lot heading into WrestleMania that year. He wrestled Brutus Beefcake in a match that uh, was uh, not built very well for a, for a guy the stature of Teddy yeah. Biasi. year prior he was in the finals of the WWF Championship Tournament losing to Randy Savage in the main event of WrestleMania 4 and the following year he's in mid-card purgatory with Brutus Beefcake so um, for me personally hindsight being 2020 um, I get why Big John Stud won and I understand that they were trying to build him up he was returning but Big John Studd 
what ended up becoming the guest referee in Andre and Jake the Snake at WrestleMania Five that year. I feel like they could have capitalized a, a, a little bit better if they went with DiBiase instead. DiBiase cheating or buying someone's number, and then let's say if they wanted to do DiBiase and Brutus, that DiBiase could have screwed over Brutus and eliminated him, and that could have been the tipping point to yeah. get them to WrestleMania. Because, like I said, DiBiase, as great of a character as he was, um, he didn't win the World Heavyweight title, uh-huh. and he eventually would create the Million Dollar Championship, but a guy of his stature, I just felt like, as good as he was, I felt I felt like now, not back then, but now, the Royal Rumble victory for him would have been a nice little feather in his cap. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. I think I think this is where they could have gone with DiBiase winning. Like, sometimes you just got to let the villains win. Yeah. Like, and here's the thing. Like, the whole, whole upcoming of the show, like, in the beginning where he bought the pick, it was all about DiBiase that night. Like, it could have been... His night that could have been like the, like you said the feather in his cap where he like won the rumble went on to have like a prominent role at Mania, but it just wasn't it just wasn't to be and I think that this could have changed the whole landmark of ju- like of just not just his career but like other people's careers like you said like he faced Beefcake at uh, Brutus at uh, Mania and like did that accomplish anything for either one of them no so no. like I think that if he Purchase the purchase number thirty pick and ended up winning the rumble. That would have been a bigger story than Big John Stud returning for like one last hurrah, basically. And like, it didn't do anything for Stud's career really, and it didn't really do anything for DiBiase's career. And I think that failed in both regards. Well, like I said, Stud was the referee and Jake the Snake yeah. and Andre the Giant. Like, if if Stud won and it and it led to Big John Stud, Andre the Giant at WrestleMania that year, I yeah. could kind of understand that. But he ended up returning to win the Royal Rumble only to become a referee in yeah, a in a in a high profile match imagine, at WrestleMania. Imagine if that happened now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that it's a different be... landscape now with the Royal Rumble and the yeah. stipulations and we'll get into that Absolutely. a little bit later on, but um yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you there. DiBiase's victory, if 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 that were to have been the case, would probably have been um, a much better path than Big John Stud. But they, I think, at the same time, to be fair, they were still trying to feel out the Royal Rumble process yeah, and what what that was going to mean to their television storyline. So with the addition of like the ten extra men this year from last year, there was kind of like the guinea pig match when. What we know, which we now know and love right now. Yeah, the 30-man battle. Exactly, yeah. No, you make a great point there. Um, let's move on to the following year, 1990. Um, this was the year that Hulk Hogan won the uh, the Royal Rumble. His he was first one. His first one. He was the WWF champion at the time. And uh, the most memorable part of that Rumble for me as a kid was obviously the face-off that he had with the Ultimate Warrior. Which was, which was kind of planting the seeds for 100%. where they were going to go for WrestleMania that year, which eventually would become Hogan and Ultimate Warrior well, champion versus champion. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great match. Um, it was also during that time period, as I remember as a kid, that Mr. Perfect was kind of involved with Hogan. They had some runs on the live events, and I believe they had a couple of matches on Saturday night's main event. I think the title was involved. Um, the genius who was managing Mr. Perfect had a, had a hand in some of those matches I believe there was a tag match with Perfect and Genius against Hogan and Warrior. Um, 
this case, I get why they kind of put Hogan in this position to uh, to win as he eliminated Mr. Perfect, who was the runner-up that year in 1990. I think they wanted to pad Hogan's resume for when that time came when Warrior was going to beat him. And Warrior not only would beat him for the title, but, you know, add on the fact that Hogan won the Royal Rumble a few months prior, it just makes Warrior's victory that much more special. Agreed. I get it. Um... Another situation, hindsight being twenty twenty, those two guys were so Hogan and Warrior were, were such polarizing figures, even as a kid. That looking at it now, Hogan didn't need Hogan no. was a champion. He didn't need the Royal Rumble. It was just another notch on his belt to say, yeah. "Oh, well, Hulk Hogan won the Royal Rumble," um, which as a kid I was happy about because I remember the year prior when Hogan got eliminated in eighty nine, and yeah. I was like. Hogan's not going to win the Royal Rumble, and same well, thing. With expect, Rand- yeah, yeah, which I expected at that time. So, I was happy that Hogan won, but um, Mr. Perfect's character at the time was going through a uh, he was an, he was on an undefeated streak, and yeah. Mr. Perfect would go on to WrestleMania that year to wrestle of all people Brutus Beefcake. And Loves fighting runner-ups. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. The, I guess the runner-up in the Royal Rumble earns a, a WrestleMania match with Brutus Beefcake every as, their, as their Let's consolation prize. So, uh, Beefcake was the guy that ended Mister Perfect's undefeated streak at WrestleMania that year. That's a trivia question. Now, right I lo- I don't like to fantasy book um, on this show. That's why we kind of do our trading places concept, where we try to realistically map out where characters have gone. Um, and we've done a few of those over the over the course of this time here and kicking out of two. Just recently as last week, we covered Mick Foley's world title win over The Rock, the very first one, and the trading uh, finger poke of doom with uh, Hogan and Nash. Um, you'll have to check that out over in the archives at SoundCloud.com as well as on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Anyhow, um, Mr. Perfect, I feel like, because he was involved with Hogan at that time, I feel like, and I'll let you comment first, but I feel like a perfect victory would have been the catalyst to really get the wheels in motion for Hogan and Warrior. Even though they kind of, they touched during the match and yeah. they and they they had their they had that big moment, I felt like. If Perfect were the one to eliminate them both while they were both going at it in the ring, like over the top yeah, rope, yeah. that that could have helped Perfect down the line, and you could have then pivoted to Hogan and Warrior because those two meet in the Rumble, they have their moment, they clash, and then sneaky little Mister Perfect dumps them over the ropes, and Perfect has has the feather in his cap that I eliminated the WWF champion and the Intercontinental champion, which then could set up something down the line with either one, with of, either them. one yeah. of them after WrestleMania. Absolutely. What's your take on Mr. Perfect's path to WrestleMania realistically when he when he faced Beefcake and what could have been with Mr. Perfect had he won the Royal Rumble? Well, I think that this year, this was the first one that like they couldn't go wrong. Like, if the fact that they gave the uh, win to Hogan was fine. Like, Hogan, like you said, another notch on the belt. Just, like, a credit to his career. Like, he was already the champion. He didn't need the win. But the win was still cool to have. Yep. And with Perfect, if Perfect won, he probably would have been 
in a better position instead of facing Bruce Beefcake at Mania. But, like, it wasn't, like, it wasn't damning to his career that he didn't win. But it could have been, it could have been better, obviously. But, I mean, it, I like your, I like the scenario where you say, like, oh, if he eliminated Warrior and Hogan at the same time when they were going at it, when everyone was, all eyes were on them at that moment. Yeah. So, like, imagine if Perfect came in and just clotheslined both of them over the top ropes, like... Or both guys are tangled in the ropes. They look like they're about to fall out, and then Perfect yeah. just kind of dumps them, dumps them yeah, real yeah. quick, you know, with all their momentum heading out to the floor. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, no, that would have been that would have been a perfect ending. At the same time, though, if you think about it, and 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 you you know you're wrestling, so you can go back a little bit. But like a guy of Mister Perfect's size compared to Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior, yeah. him kind of getting the the upper hand on not just one but both of them at the same yeah. time is not something that was realistic in terms time, of absolutely. storytelling at that time in the WWF. Yeah, hundred percent. I um, mean, it, you absolutely. know. You were used to seeing the big Titans clash, like you said, Hogan and Warrior. Hogan wrestled a lot of the big guys. That's where he made his most money is working with the big I mean, guys. Think about the think about the past two years with Stud and uh, Earth uh, Stud and um, what do you call it? Duggan. Duggan winning yeah. both big guys. Yeah, like one man gang was in the final two. Like big guys, like Henning. Henning was not a big guy, no. but he just. He knew his way around the ring. Yeah, he was athletically gifted, and yeah. and, and what he made up for in. What he lacked in size, he made up for in his in-ring ability oh, and his absolutely. charisma and all the other things. You know, one of the most underrated, underappreciated guys in the history of the business he when it comes amazing right in uh, today's game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he amazing. would he would blow Dolph Ziggler out of the water for oh, yeah. sure. As, as great as Dolph is, and I love Dolph, but man, Kurt Henning would have imagine him versus Brian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dolph yeah. and Brian. Yeah, we can go on. Dolph and a- or uh, Perfect and AJ. Oh, oh man, forget about it. But yeah. um. Yeah, I mean, that's where I stand Where when it comes to Mr. Perfect. I mean, if you think about it, you know, he had that match with Brutus. He lost. And, you know, at some point you got to end an undefeated streak. You know what I mean? I mean, he's Mr. Perfect. I mean, there's, there's two schools of thought with that. On one hand, he claims to be perfect. He's undefeated. He backs it up. But at the same time, he's Mr. Perfect. He claims he's the perfect wrestler. And someone beats him and adds that unnecessary notch to his belt then that and and then he still claims he's perfect that's where the like the heat comes in that's yeah. where the people are like how dare you say you're perfect you beefcake beat your beefcake bro <laughs> yeah you lost, yeah exactly and then that's where you just build that heat even oh, more yeah, you know so i mean that's there, there's two schools of thought when it comes to that and that just kind of popped in my head but mr perfect i think was a solid runner up in the yeah, royal 100%. rumble at that time at the year but you best, know, best one so far yeah, I would. Yeah, but, I mean, DiBiase a second, but at the yeah. same time, perfect. Yeah, and even too the way he was eliminated, like Hogan just launched him over the top rope, and it made for a great visual. Oh yeah, as he was flying. You, you in still the air. see, you still see that thing now. Yeah, it's in the it's in all the the Rumble highlight reels. Uh, uh, moving on, another Royal Rumble in 1991 that Hulk Hogan was victorious in, uh, eliminating Earthquake, an individual who Hogan big had. Man. Yeah, another big guy. Um, who Hogan had a run with uh, in late 1990. It was Earthquake who had kind of put Hogan's character out of commission on the Brother Love show. I remember as a young kid, I was uh, I was uh, petrified yeah. that not only Earthquake beat Hulk Hogan, but that 
um, Hulk Hogan may never come back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did those vignettes on TV where you got to write Hulk Hogan letters and Tugboat would read the letters on TV. And, you know, I, I begged my parents to send a letter in. I wrote a letter and um, he didn't read my letter on TV, but they sent me back like, do you remember those um, those like bracelets that were... I mean, they were popular in the 90s that, like, were made of, like, yarn, but, like, you could, like, inscribe yeah, yeah, people's yeah. names in it. So there was a red and yellow bracelet that you tied up, and it said Hulkster on it. Nice. So, like, I got that, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you could still buy it in the catalog, but they gave it to you for free because you wrote them a fucking letter. So, um, <laughs> Gotta love 1990. Yeah, yeah, 19, yeah 1990 was, was good to me in terms of uh, wrestling merchandise. But um, anyhow, um, Earthquake took Hogan out that year, and then Hogan eventually came back and got his revenge, and he marched toward... Towards, uh, the Royal Rumble that year and it was that year where um, in 91 where Sergeant Slaughter ended up beating the Ultimate Warrior for the WWF Championship uh, the first time when the first time the Royal Rumble pay-per-view had a championship match a WWF championship match um, so Hogan winning that year um, and I was just watching this Rumble earlier before you before, before you came over to, to record this and uh it was a foregone conclusion, at least before the match started, that like they were setting up Hogan and Slaughter because oh, yeah. they were they, they were they, they had Mean Gene interviewing Hogan, and it alluded to you know not only just the Royal Rumble match, but then all the stuff going on with Slaughter and desecrating the American flag yeah. and turning his back on America. You knew that that collision the all was American happening. guys coming in, yeah, to take it back exactly. Now that's it's a great point you brought up the all American guy trying to you know take his country back and take the title off of yep. slaughter. This was before this was the interview before the Royal Rumble match even started. So smarter yep. fans out there back then in 1991, and then myself looking at it now in, in you know 2019, looking at it and saying, shit. Like, well, we know Hogan's going to win now. <laughs> let's just you know watch I mean? and see how he does. Yeah, it. let's yeah exactly. Let's just see how that path you know takes place when it comes to him. But um. Hogan eliminating Earthquake. Um, I mean, it made sense because their history, hundred percent, and and what their characters, you know, had had endured with each other throughout the throughout the the last few months. However, in 2019, looking at Hogan's victory and that interview, they still Hogan didn't need another Rumble victory. He didn't need yeah. in his on his resume. It looked good, but it wasn't needed. And Hogan getting to slaughter could have gotten there just based on that interview, that 100%. pre-match promo alone. And maybe we could have seen slaughter pull the rug out from under him during the middle of that match, and then set up the title match for WrestleMania. However. That didn't happen. They used Hogan's Rumble victory as an excuse to earn an opportunity, even though that wasn't the stipulation. Hogan just would say, you know, I won the Royal Rumble, and I want to take back the title and bring it back to America, and Yankee Doodle Dandy and all that shit. Now, Earthquake, like I said, eliminated him, had a history. It made sense. It was a nice sequence at the end because the two of them, uh, their characters had crossed paths before. Um, Earthquake's WrestleMania was not very memorable following this. Um, Earthquake would eventually go on to defeat Greg the Hammer Valentine at WrestleMania 7 in a matter of minutes. Uh, But it was following that WrestleMania where things picked up for Earthquake when he eventually formed the natural disasters with Typhoon, Typhoon, or actually Tugboat, who would become Typhoon. Yeah, yeah. So... As awesome and as imposing of a figure as Earthquake was, 
another guy, in my opinion, who I feel a Rumble victory as being the runner-up and getting eliminated by Hogan. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Get you, it, 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 it was it wasn't bad at all, no. but a victory for him. I feel like if you're not going to put him in the title picture, that'd have been a nice little notch on his belt. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, if he, but here's the thing: if he won. And he went on for a prominent singles career right after that. Would we ever have seen the natural disasters? Um, maybe at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it wouldn't have happened. I'm just saying that's probably it, like when people think of earthquake, the first thing they think of is that his team of the natural disasters. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I would have. So to I think that I mean, yes, like hopefully, maybe maybe we would have thought of him as a Royal Rumble winner if he was able to eliminate Hulk. Yeah. Like you said, Hulk didn't need the win again, but. Like you said, with Earthquake taking him out months earlier, it made sense. Everyone knew it was coming. And honestly, being as big as he was, Earthquake, like, I remember watch. I've watched this, I watched this Rumble because, like, if you Google, like, top Rumbles of all time, this comes up as a consensus, like, what, top five, top six Rumble? 91 with Hogan's yeah. victory? Yeah, I've seen it, in, I've seen it on that high up on lists yeah. before. And it's, and like, because if you watch it, like, Earthquake dominated a good portion of that match. Yeah. And he's a big guy, but he was never given credit for his, like, athleticism. Because no. he was actually, like, a pretty, like, agile oh, yeah. big guy. He moved around for, for a guy his size. That but if you watch expect. it, yeah, if you watch at the end, the dude kind of just, kind of looked a little tired at the end. Like, he, I think he came in too early and lasted too long. Well, I think, I, I think he... I don't think he came in too early because he was in like the oh, I don't remember the number of his drawing. I want to say, say it was, it was like, like early twenties. Yeah, but I think that sequence at the end might have been a little too long. But at the same yeah. time, if you think about it from a storytelling perspective, he's a big guy. He's using all he's he's getting gassed up pretty quickly, oh, yeah. and so it's easier for him to fatigue. However, he's such a big guy and he's so hard to take out of the match that that's why maybe it took as long as it did for Hogan to eliminate him. So uh, I, I I look at it as he was a good runner-up and a good a, a good way for them to build Hogan to get to slaughter. Yeah, Hogan it made Hogan look even tougher. Yeah, it made Hogan look even tougher, but at the same time, based on that pre-match interview and they were – they talked more about Hogan wanting to get a piece of slaughter than they did Hogan wanting to get in the Rumble match. Hogan could have been eliminated in three seconds of that match and still face slaughter yeah. based on the interview. Yeah, based on the interview alone. I mean, it was it was quite, you know, it, it, it told it told you a story. And when I was a kid, it didn't mean much to me. But looking back on it now when I watched it recently, I was like, well, shit. Yeah. What, if, what if they had that interview after the match? How much of how much would have changed if Hogan won or if Hogan lost? If Hogan, if Hogan, say Hogan won the, the Rumble, Rumble, and then had the interview after the match, it would have made sense yeah. because because of the path that they were that that they were going on with Hogan and Slaughter. I mean, it it would probably made more sense for them to do it after than before yeah, so it, because you got you the, wouldn't know who's you, you like yeah you, like you said you knew Hogan was winning. You got the idea. Interview. I mean, yeah. like I said, it was almost in some ways like disrespectful of his character to disregard the other twenty nine guys and kind of set his sights on Sergeant Slaughter. Like I said, sure. even though the championship stipulation wasn't implemented in that Royal Correct. Rumble match in nineteen ninety one, so that's where I, that's where I stand when it comes to. Uh, 
Earthquake and his role as a runner-up in the 1991 Royal Rumble match. We move on to 1992, where now things in the Rumble match are starting to... We're starting to see a change in the, in the format. This was the year which most people remember for as Ric Flair going coast to coast or close to coast to coast, yeah. I should say, because he entered in at number three right. and won the WWF championship as the winner of the Royal Rumble match. Yeah. Um, the vacant title. Yeah, the vacant title, which uh, was vacated because Flair got himself involved in the championship match with Hogan and Undertaker, not once, but twice at Survivor Series. And then this Tuesday in Texas following that, which set up the title being held up in the Royal Rumble match. This was probably, in most people's minds, the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time. I've consistently seen it in top two. Yeah. Flair's performance, um, the commentary from Bobby Heenan, the the guys that were in that match. There's over half of that field are are in the Hall of Fame and have been world champions on multiple occasions. I mean, you look at a who's who of Hogan, Flair, Savage, Shawn Michaels, Million Dollar Man, Undertaker, Jake the Snake, um, Sergeant Slaughter, The oh, Iron yeah. Sheik, uh, Million Dollar Man. The, 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 um, no, Bret Hart was not in that Rumble. He was he was supposed to defend the Intercontinental oh, title against the right. Mountie, okay, yep. and Piper replaced him. Piper, who just won the Intercontinental title early in the evening in the Rumble. Big Boss Man, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The list goes on and on. At that time, the most star-studded Royal Rumble match ever. Easy. And uh, in controversial fashion, Ric Flair won, eliminating Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, Sid Justice, whatever you want to call him, with a little bit of help from Hulk Hogan. Yep. Flair would become the WWF champion, and he'd have the big celebration at the end, and uh, Sid and Hogan then pivoted and had their issues, and which began their march to WrestleMania. Sid would eventually face Hogan um, at WrestleMania that year um talk to me a little bit about sid his path to wrestlemania against hogan and was sid a good runner-up or would sid have been a good viable winner to become the wwf champion in that royal rumble match i'm gonna go with neither (laughs) really (laughs) like you said this was the most star-studded affair like i think they could have gone numerous other mat- other ways. I-, I understand. This was catapulting Sid into limelight. But what did that accomplish? I mean, he had a he had a good WrestleMania, like, upcoming to WrestleMania, like, build-up. Build-up, yeah, with yeah. Hogan. But after that, what happened? Well, yeah, I mean, Sid didn't really do much after WrestleMania. As a matter of fact, I think he... The next, like, I the next thing I remember the- is him in, like, 96 with, uh... What do you call it? Sean. 95 when he came, yeah, yeah, yeah. he came in as Sean's bodyguard. Yeah, no, Sid, here's, here's an interesting story. Um, and I've, I've, heard, I've seen this on multiple shooter interviews. Uh, you know, Hogan was leaving at the time um, after that WrestleMania. There was some pressure for him to leave. He wanted to take a break, and yep. the steroid trial was coming up, and they just needed to get him off TV. Yeah. And so they wanted to position Sid as the number one good guy. To kind of yeah. like Phil Hogan's shoes, because even though he was a bad guy, according to multiple stories I've heard, he was getting strong, positive reactions. If you remember that Royal Rumble, when Flair eliminated Sid with help from Hogan, they oh. booed. Oh, they were not. They were <laughs> booing. Yeah. And I don't think they were booing because Flair won. I think they were booing because... <laughs> 
you started to see a change in the fan base, and they were starting to get a little bit tired of Hulk Hogan as the the, the clean cut good I mean, guy. He was going for the three P. Yeah, and he like, was going to go for the three P. And he Hulk Hogan did something that was against his character and eliminated Sid from outside on the floor. Yeah. So well, they wanted to position what, he over the handshake. He did the he did the he did the refrigerator William Perry to Big John Studd at WrestleMania yeah. two, the handshake you know and it wasn't even really a handshake he just grabbed his arm and then pulled yeah. him over, and then Flair kind of assisted in the elimination but um they wanted Sid to be a good guy and Sid turned it down and Sid said well I'm better as a bad guy which he's a great bad guy yeah. but. He was getting strong, positive reactions, and they wanted to build on that and eventually make him a good guy and Phil Hogan's shoes, and he turned it down. And then I believe, um, I don't know if there was injuries or whatever the case may be, um, but he disappeared after not too long after WrestleMania that year and would eventually go back to WCW for a couple of years, about a year or so maybe, before he had the... The, the hotel stabbing incident with Arn Anderson. You ever heard that story? <laughs> I have. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. heard it in a while, but yeah. Yeah, no. so, yeah. and then he was gone from there, so he was only there for about a year. But anyhow, um, fl- uh, so Flair wins. He's the champ. Sid goes to Mania, wrestles Hogan. Now, they build it as, like, this could be the last time Hogan is going to wrestle ever again yeah. this is his last is it they, they didn't say it was his la- they didn't say it was definitely his last match they said this could be hulk hogan's last match they build it up as which like crazy. his yeah, future yeah, was uncertain yeah. which i which as a kid was a little frightening but um well, yeah. nonetheless i i mean flair all that time as the champion or all that time as the real world's champion i felt like in hindsight He's going to have to win the belt at some point. Oh, you can't absolutely. claim to be the real world's champion. Take the belt from the other company and put it on their TV and then not become the WWF champion. So when it comes to Sid as a runner-up, I'm okay with it. Yes, there's possibilities of, oh, damn, what if Sid won and he was the WWF champion? What if they did Sid and Hogan with Sid defending the belt and they still announced it as Hogan's potential last match but he's fighting True. for the belt like there's there's some there's some legs to that kind of a story Absolutely. but at the same time um there was still some legs to sid and hogan without the belt and maybe flair needed the belt to kind of prove where he stood in the uh in the main event scene in wwf yeah, i mean that's you know I, i'm okay with with sid being the the because Sid's such an imposing figure, he didn't need to win a battle royal. He could just beat somebody to take the belt. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So that, that that's where I stand when it comes to 1992. Let's. Uh, uh, do you have any? No, I completely agree with you on that part. I mean, I I think Flair needed the belt. This was this was not like the past two years where Hogan didn't need the win. Yeah. I think Flair needed the win. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you too. Um. Let's move on to 1993. This is an interesting Royal Rumble. This is the first Royal Rumble where the WrestleMania title match stipulation comes into play. The winner of the Royal Rumble will earn an opportunity at the WWF Championship and the main event of WrestleMania. Um, That Royal Rumble, not as star-studded as 1992, the year prior, but um, 
Interesting fact, uh, when I was a kid, my parents used to ask me, what do you want for your birthday? And I would say, I want my birthday party to be on the day that they have the Royal Rumble. So my friends could come over, we'd watch the Royal Rumble and have a party. And so my parents used to set that up. And that Royal Rumble took place on a Sunday afternoon at like 2 or 3 o'clock. This was before like pay-per-view was traditionally regularly Sunday evenings in prime time. So... um, we had friend, I had friends over, and I remember my friends were, were all trying to pick winners of who was going to be in the Royal Rumble. And I remember saying to them, the newcomer, Yokozuna, is going to win because yeah. nobody can lift him up over the Absolutely. top rope. And, it's a safe bet. Um, and I'm not saying that to put a feather in my own cap like I knew what I was talking about. But I, as a kid at, at, at 10 years old, my logic was nobody's picking him up. 500 uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that was my logic. It wasn't like, oh, I read this here and I knew this or whatever. No, yeah, it was... Sound uh, logic. Yeah, I just, you know, used my brain at 10 years old and thought, he's huge. Nobody can get... It, it'd take the whole rumble to get him out. And I don't think that's going to happen. So... Lo and behold, Yokozuna wins, and some of my friends were like, oh, well, how did you know that? And I, like I said, I told him, I was like, nobody's lifting him up over the top rope. So yeah. he eliminated Macho Man Randy Savage, who at that time, if you remember, he was kind of a utility player for the WWF. He wasn't a regular in the ring. He was commentating on Monday Night Raw, and he was doing a lot of the commentary on some of the other shows as well. They kind of put him in situations, of, you know, in a physical aspect when it was needed. Um, they used them for live events, but didn't really use them a whole lot on TV in an in-ring capacity. So, um, Randy Savage, one of my all-time favorites. He's in my top five with with Hogan as well. If, if there's a, if if there's anyone that's close to Hogan in terms of my favorite, it's Savage. You know, one A uh, would would be Macho Man and uh, Savage getting eliminated by Yokozuna. I don't know if you remember the elimination, but he went, went for the, the elbow drop. And then he went for the pin. Yeah, he went for the pin, and then Yoko, like, kicked out, but he, like, launched him over the top rope on his back, which I thought was an interesting way of uh, eliminating him. But Savage was eliminated, Yoko won. Yeah. I can't argue a Yokozuna Royal Rumble victory. And, no. uh, you know what I mean? Like, he was such a big guy, it felt like if he didn't win, it would be... And, and when it got down to the two of them, like... You, you knew Savage wasn't getting him over the top ropes. Yeah. Like, it had to be another bigger guy in order for it to be, like, more realistic. Yeah, and all those big guys were already eliminated. Yeah. Earthquake was already out at one point. Um, Undertaker had an impromptu elimination with the debut of Giant Gonzalez. So you didn't have anybody else of great size that was able, that looked credible enough to throw him out. So, yeah, yeah like you said, when you saw it was Savage and Yoko... Um, you knew Yoko was going to win. And that's what makes the elimination that much cooler because, like, you knew it was going to happen, but then they surprised you in the way that happened. You're, you're exactly right. Yoko just didn't throw him over the top rope yeah. like we talked about. The elbow drop, Savage went for the cover, and they even said, like, what's he doing going for the cover? And then Yoko launches him on his back, <laughs> and, and Savage sold it really well. Was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Randy Savage, you know, he was he was always great at selling. He, he knew how to take an ass whooping, and he certainly did in this case with, uh, with, with Yokozuna. Randy Savage, though, he's probably the most disappointing um, runner-up in terms of follow-up when it comes to what took place well, yeah, you, after this. You, I mean, you said it. He wasn't really doing much beforehand anyway. Yeah. So. He, was a, he didn't even wrestle on that year's WrestleMania. He was in commentary with Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan wearing a toga. 
You know, That's right. Caesar's Palace, WrestleMania Nine, one of my guilty pleasures <laughs> in, in, in all of wrestling was was that WrestleMania, even though it's regarded as one of the worst of all time. Um, I think just from the theatrics and the the cosmetically Caesars, how it looked yeah. at Caesar's, I thought it was pretty cool. But anyhow, um, yeah, I'd probably have to say Savage is probably the most disappointing follow up for me in. Uh, in, in terms of Royal Rumble, I mean, how up. how old was he at that point in his career? He was was he at the was he at the tail end of his career? I mean, he I know he was at the tail end of his career, WWF wise, but I felt like he still had more in the tank. Oh, he did, he did absolutely. I mean, he I would, just think WWF didn't. They know. were facing they were facing a lot of the older guys out, and they were putting a lot of the, they were emphasizing on a lot of the younger guys. Yeah. Um. So I mean, looking back on it now. It, it, it helped Yokozuna's credibility that he eliminated someone in the stature of Randy Savage, two-time kind former like WWE champion. Yeah. In some ways, you could say, yeah. But at the same time, um, let's say in the event that Yokozuna didn't win the Royal Rumble, this is where we this is where we kind of trade places a yep. little bit here. Um, and let's say let's say let's just say for argument's sake, Yokozuna went to go for the bonsai drop just to kind of put a little put a little. Stamp of approval on this yeah. beating with Randy Savage, but Savage gets up and he like takes all of Yoko's momentum as he's on the second rope and dumps him over the top rope, and Randy Savage ends up winning the Royal Rumble match. Now, mind you, he's been a utility player, basically in commentary. Even in some regards, they 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 would mention him on TV as being a a WWF veteran, a legend of some sorts yep. in the commentary booth. Imagine if they did the old one more match kind of run with him to WrestleMania. You know, I don't know how much I got left in me, but I got yeah, one more for the title, you know, against like a Bret Hart. And maybe that's where he passes that torch to Bret Hart, so to sure. speak. I don't know. I mean, back then in 1993, they were going youth movement. That's not something I could see. I could have seen them doing in 1993, but in 2018, oh, 2019, yeah. excuse me, that's something I think that, that, could have been possible oh, had the circumstances played out that way. Absolutely agree with that. I mean, like you said, if they did the one more match thing with him, it would have been awesome for him. But I understood what they were going with, with the youth movement and trying to get, like, Yoko's name, like, out there. Yeah. And this was a start to a pretty good year for him. I mean, for Yoko, won, yeah, he won the title. What he won the title at Mania, and then he lost it at Mania to Hogan. Yep. Well, um, but then he won it back at King of the Ring, and he was basically the top dog with the title. He did the whole run with Luger and the Lex Express, and he would Lex go Express, on. Yeah. He would end the year um, pivoting from Luger to Undertaker, which would then set up 1994 um, match. and the casket match, which then brings us to the 1994 Royal Rumble, where Lex Luger and Bret Hart are the co-winners of that Royal Rumble match. The first so time ever that two guys won the Royal Rumble. They both eliminated each other simultaneously, and the camera shots really couldn't tell um, who was the decisive winner. I remember as a kid watching it, and that Royal Rumble pay-per-view was on on a Saturday evening. I had a couple of friends over for my birthday for that, too. And even in the camera angles... Me and my friends were like, somebody made a mistake. Somebody messed up. Like, like yeah, how you could thought you... someone was going to touch first. Someone, someone, was supposed someone, to... someone was supposed to touch first. Like they made a mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and and they they brought the referees out. Jack Tunney made the official ruling that you know there's co-winners because they couldn't determine you know who was the winner of the Royal Rumble match. Um, 
Coincidentally enough, the co-winners, who are Lex Luger and Bret Hart, they simultaneously eliminated Head Shrinker Fatu, who would be best known as Rikishi, and Shawn Michaels at the same time. Yep. And... So, like, so you have <laughs> two co-runner-ups, at least in my opinion, because ba- going back and watching it, I remember both guys basically getting eliminated and hitting the floor at the same time. So, as re- in regards to, I'll just I'll just give you my take on Fatu. In regards to Fatu, you know, he didn't really amount to much. Um, he did the head shrinker thing for a while with yeah. his brother Samu. I think they had a run with the tag titles uh, briefly that year, um, but he didn't really amount to much. And I don't feel like in 1994, realistically, he could have been a good winner of the Royal Rumble match. Shawn Michaels, on the other hand, he was almost there. He was he was seen as a credible mid card guy. Yep. However, there was just something else that he needed to really. Put his name up there and and cement his status as a major player in WWF, and that would eventually become the ladder match later that year with Razor Ramon at WrestleMania yeah. 10. So, and I think I, that start. I think this was a good start for him, though. Yeah, like it got his name in there as in the Final Four, and like it just helped his yeah. career. Unlike had trigger fought too. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, being a part of the final form, being one of the last eliminated, um, you do get recognized, in, at least in some Royal Rumble statistic shows or, or yeah. different, you know, Royal Rumble uh, uh, retrospectives as, you know, a, a big player if you're in, like, the final four or obviously here on Kicking Out of Two, one of the runners-up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What's your take on 94 and, and, and these two runner-ups? I mean, I always like this match in the sense that like like you said, when you were a kid, you were like, "Oh man, someone messed up." Yep. But now you think about it, like, wow, think about the athleticism that they had to like plan the sense that like they would touch at the exact same time. Yeah. Like all their momentum is going over the ropes, and they somehow like were able to like touch down at the exact same time. Like yeah. that just shows like you wouldn't have been able to do that with Yokozuna. In no, the year before. of course like, not. Like what I'm saying with like Lex and with uh, what do you call it? Brett. Brett. Sorry. No, that's and, right. And, um, like, they were just, they were at the top of their games at that moment. Yeah. And it just showed how skilled they were. And think about this, too. Like, the camera angles. Like, they, they had the yeah, camera they were, angles they constructed, like, I mean, to the point where, like, you really, as a viewer at home, I remember, like, you can't tell who touched first. You still can't tell. You still can't <laughs> yeah, tell exactly. in the replays. But now it's 2018. Everyone's got a camera phone, and there's all different kinds of camera angles. True. You couldn't get away. I think it would be very hard, I should yeah, say, they to would get be. away with doing a finish like that nowadays. Because some idiot yeah. will go on Twitter who's got their phone and be like, oh, no, look what I got. And they you know, they think they're Sorry, the super Sorry, Roll, Rollins touchdown first, not yeah. Ambrose. Like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I don't think you would see in, in, in today's wrestling world. But, um yeah, I mean that's where that's where I stand when it comes to 1994. E, Fatu certainly wouldn't make a good candidate to win the Royal Rumble at that time, uh, and even Michaels to a certain extent. Uh, yeah, he too. wasn't ready. He would. I don't feel like his character was ready. They were still probably needed like another year or so. Yeah, and which which ended up you know that other year ended up becoming you know 1995 where he went you know coast to coast and entered in at number one and became the victor, eliminating the individual. 
uh, who entered in at number two, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. The whole one foot touching the bot, you know, the floor, which eventually would become two feet. You know, yep. now that's you know, it's it's famous for for Michael's one foot touching. Now it's you know when they make the announcements, both feet have to touch the floor. Oh, Kofi Kingston has made a Royal Rumble highlight reel for the last decade or so of yeah, avoiding the one foot on the floor rule. So. um or both feet, I should say. But, uh, yeah, so Michaels eliminates Bulldog, and he goes on to WrestleMania that year. Not only did he earn an opportunity at the title, but he also he also earned the uh, the services of Pamela Anderson to escort him to the ring. Um, basically a huge one right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, that was a huge win too. I remember as a kid thinking like Michaels was probably doing her. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, everyone thought that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I you know, at, at, at twelve years old, I wanted to do her, but yeah. <laughs> I was seven and I wanted to do her. <laughs> but um, yeah. So back to uh, uh, now we got Pamela Anderson on the brain. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> So regroup real quick, yeah. all right? Yeah, all right. Um, so Michaels eliminates Bulldog. Everyone thought Bulldog won. They played his music. Bulldog he thought did. He won. <laughs> Bulldog thought he won. Yeah, they do the whole, you know, raising the arms, and they even announced him as the winner. Michaels eliminates him, and then they go to the replay, and they show that Michaels' foot hits the floor. As a kid, I remember. Well, okay, cool. Shawn Michaels won, and it was in it, the, the 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 ending was good. The whole one foot, and we thought Davy Boy, you know, won, but he didn't. So I was I was I was pleased with that. And being a longtime wrestling fan, even at that time, I was like, well, you know, Michael's eliminating someone like Davey Boy. Davey Boy's got some history, mm-hmm. Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion, blah, blah, blah. Part foundation. Yeah, you know. Part, yeah, part yeah, of the full family. Yeah, c- c- you know, credibility up the wazoo when it comes to British Bulldog. I was disappointed that they didn't do more with Davey Boy following this because – or at least in the short term, not like at that year's WrestleMania, Michaels wrestled Diesel for the title, but Davy Boy tagged with Lex Luger against Jacob and Eli Blue, the Blue Brothers, who was man- managed by uh, Dutch Mantel, Uncle Zebekiah, um, in the opening match of WrestleMania, which was like thrown together at the last minute, I remember. Um, I just felt like the way Davy Boy got eliminated that they were going to follow up more and do something more with him going into that WrestleMania. Yeah, he was, after that, I don't think he was ever anywhere close to, like, the, like, world title scene. He got, he had a few shots. Um, later, Anything, like, notably, though? Later that year, he turned heel. Yeah. That was right before Luger went to WCW. Is that when he wore the jeans for, like... Oh, no, that was in 99 when, like, his career, like, his oh, better yeah. days were way behind okay. him. Um, That's and, what he, I and he joined up with uh, Jim Cornette's entourage, and Cornette managed him. He had a very, very, very shitty match against Diesel for the title yep. later that year in October of 95 at uh, an in-your-house pay-per-view. Okay. And then he, rest, he ended 95 with a fantastic match against Brett in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania at the uh, Seasons Beatings In Your House event in December. And he would stay with Cornette for a little while, and then eventually he would you know, tag with Owen. They would have a couple of runs with the tag belts. Yeah. And then that would turn into the Hart Foundation with Brett and Pillman and Anvil. But um, in the short term, like I said, the way he was eliminated, even as a kid, I was like, oh, well, damn, Davy Boy's going to have to be a part of something yeah, big at WrestleMania. You know? Do you think Davy Boy... Do you think do you think Davy Boy would have been a good candidate to win the Royal Rumble instead of Michaels that year? I don't. Okay. I mean, I like the fact that they started one two, they went the whole distance. They were both like visibly gassed at the end. Yep. 
understandably so. I mean, like I said, they they lasted the distance. They beat everyone else. I thought the ending was so, like I I told you before we started recording. This is the this is the first rumble that I remember. Okay, I was seven years old. HBK was the man. Yeah, like I loved HBK. I loved that ladder match. I loved. Just the build-up of HBK. Like, you said Macho's your 1A. HBK is right up there in my, like, top two, top three wrestlers. I loved HBK. This was the start of, like, the, like, massive career of HBK. And I think that the fact that they gave him the Royal Rumble win in that fashion where, like, like you said, one foot touched the ground... He comes back in, double axe handle on uh, uh, Bulldog and eliminates Bulldog, and they go to the replay. They show that he won. Like it was just a perfect start, like launching point to him eventually winning the title. Yeah, and banging Pamela Anderson walking down the (laughs) runway, which he ended up not getting. They did. I don't know if you remember at that WrestleMania, they did the storyline where where Michaels uh, and her had a falling out, and then she ended up showing up with Diesel. And but Mike, I mean Michaels, you know, he walked out with Sid and Jenny McCarthy. So I mean, you know, you couldn't, you know, you you couldn't argue. You always see that entrance on the on the 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 highlight reel um, over the years with him and Jenny McCarthy and Sid in tow. But uh, you know, I mean, I could. I could kind of agree with your point that that a Davy Boy Rumble victory. I mean, it certainly would have helped him, but like Michaels was Mike, Michaels was the guy at that oh, yeah. time that they were really trying to focus on. Absolutely. But even as a kid, like I said, I just thought there would be more something more important for Davy Boy oh, to do absolutely. at WrestleMania that year instead of being in a throwaway tag match that wasn't started even built show, up. Yeah. yeah, started the show wasn't even built up on TV. Like I don't I, say, even, I don't even remember the Blues Brothers to be honest with you. They they eventually, <laughs> they eventually became uh, um, uh, Skull and Eight Ball, the DOA. Remember the, uh, oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, Morris, yeah, okay. the the two twins? Yep, they shaved their heads. They were the then they went to WCW. They were the Harris Brothers at one time. Yeah, yeah. So they yeah they were. Um, they I mean, that's made, how forgettable that match was. Yeah, like, but you know the funny thing is, I remember at that WrestleMania, like when they opened the match up, or they opened the show up with that match, and I was like, I, I mean, I, I watched like the WrestleMania countdown show. I was like, that match wasn't even on, like announced. <laughs> yeah, they card. didn't even talk about that. Punch. They literally just threw it on there. I was like, whoa, what the heck? And like Luger and Bulldog are a tag team now. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? Like, sense. I mean, the fall from grace not only for Bulldog but for Luger. Luger was in the title picture the year prior at WrestleMania yep. 10, and now he's opening up with Davy Boy against you know two two nobodies. With all due respect, at the time, I didn't know who the hell they were. Yeah, Jacob yeah. and Eli Blue, but. uh all right, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm on the same page with you there. That Michaels was the guy, and Davy Boy, you know, it, it, he's probably better served to be in that like runner-up spot. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, 1996, another Royal Rumble, Shawn Michaels would win, but this time he was a good guy. He wasn't a bad sure. guy like he was in 1995, and they were telling a a little bit of a different story with him heading into that Royal Rumble, where um, it was a few months prior he was beat up by those. He suffered that concussion, and he got into that fight, which was a real-life situation with those Marines in yeah. uh, Syracuse. And then they end up turning it into a storyline where he got attacked and suffered a concussion. He had to drop the belt, the Intercontinental belt. But then they did the whole comeback story where he's going to win the Rumble and, and go on to live the boyhood dream and, and become the WWF champion. And uh, he ends up eliminating his best friend, Diesel. 
who yeah. at the time was going through a little bit of a transition in himself. As Michaels was returning and making that big comeback, Diesel lost the WWF title to Bret Hart in 1995 at Survivor Series. Yep. And then Diesel's character kind of had a little bit of an attitude change. Uh, you kind of saw the, the, the early stages of a heel Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Um, he was still friends with Shawn Michaels, but you know people didn't love him anymore. Yeah. But people didn't hate him either. He was very indifferent. Hundred um, percent. That 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 typical shades of gray, if you will, when it comes to uh, the the characterization of Diesel. And so um, Diesel let it be known that no matter who's in there, he's throwing them out, whether it's Shawn Michaels or anyone else. And it came down to those two, and Michaels super kicked him, got the best of him. And then that's when things really started to get the ball rolling, not only for Shawn Michaels, but for Diesel as well. Because Diesel was so obsessed with becoming the WWF champion that later in the evening, he screwed Undertaker out of his title match with Bret Hart. And then Diesel would eventually go on to getting a rematch with Brett the next month in a cage and Undertaker would pop out from under the ring and One screw Diesel. Scenes. Yeah, and Brett would end up winning the match and becoming the champion, which led to <laughs> Diesel and Undertaker. Diesel's Diesel's short-term uh, run following the loss in the Royal Rumble match I thought was pretty damn good considering that he lost. Um after WrestleMania, he had that that title match with Shawn Michaels, that no DQ match where they used uh, um, all kinds of plunder uh, in, in the match. And then Diesel would end up leaving and going to WCW. Um, not too long after. No, yeah. not too long after. It was in it was in May of '96. So within the span of about five months. Um, yeah. Solid. Yeah. Solid five months. Yeah, solid five months following losing the Royal Rumble match. Now, which is crazy to think, because think about that. Like now, like when 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 a guy's contract is up, they either go the two routes where they like sign them and then either do something great with them or do nothing or let them go. But when they let them go, they don't do anything. With they, them. they 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 haven't put guys over on the oh, way 100%, out. Oh, hundred percent. But I mean, which which Diesel did. I mean, he. But at the same time, his character was still strong. Yeah. In the sense that, like, he was still seen as a major player. Like, I didn't, I didn't know of, I didn't know of any of the the, the, the contract talk oh, yeah. of him he leaving at that time. Yeah. Like, when he showed up on Nitro that night, I was like, "What the hell?" I thought he was still with the WWF. You know, like, even though at that time it was a good chunk of time where he was gone from WWF and then debuting in WCW, where I just thought, "Oh, maybe they just you know gave Diesel a break or something." You know what I mean? Yeah. But. Um, I mean, I would say that, yeah, it was definitely a solid run. What would have a Royal Rumble victory had done for Diesel had he had he eliminated Shawn Michaels? Would he have stayed in WWF? <laughs> like, if they gave him the win, I... It's crazy. Like, I don't even want to, like, think about him winning mm -hmm. because of what he did without the win. Leaving and going to WCW, exactly yeah. like that could have changed. That could have changed wrestling history forever. Forever, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like you, I don't even know if we would be talking about like WCW even being a thing. Yeah. Like after that, like the Outsiders and Hogan and the NWO made WCW after that. Yeah. So like, if giving Diesel this win against HBK or against anyone, like it doesn't matter if he won against whoever. Would that have changed the entire landscape of wrestling? 
I mean, they're, 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 that might be a good trading place one. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, no, that is. You no, know, you, you might be right there. I mean, I mean, we could. You know, there's there's a lot of different avenues you can kind of um, explore when it comes to uh, when it comes to that scenario. I mean, yeah, that's it's that's something. You know what? That's something to pot. That's something let's, we're let's gonna. That. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna part with that one for now, and that might be something we'll we'll uh, we'll touch on on a later date. Um, let's go with 1997. I'm and, ready for that show too. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I know. I know. I know when you're available. <laughs> True. Um, 1997, Stone Cold Steve Austin won the Royal Rumble, last eliminating Bret Hart, but. In very controversial fashion, which this is probably one of my favorite Royal Rumble events to watch um, of all time. I remember my mother let me get this at the last minute because the next day was like Columbus Day and I was off from school. And I wanted to see the Shawn Michaels-Sid match for, for the title. It was in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. And uh, they did the whole, you know, the hometown kid coming back to get the belt from Sid. And it was going to be Jose Lothario's last match as managing Shawn Michaels because he had uh, gotten hurt um, managing him in the title match with Sid at Survivor Series. So I was, like, really pumped to get this show. I'll never forget this Rumble match. Um, Austin was on fire. He oh, yeah. was he he came in at number five. He was just tossing guys left and right. He had a, a, a star-studded performance, and then he crossed paths with Brett, and then that's when things start to take a take a turn for the worse for him. And Brett eventually eliminates him. But as he eliminates him, none of the referees are present when he eliminates him yeah. because they're dealing with Terry Funk and Mankind on the other side of the ring who had already eliminated each other. The two of them are still just going after each other, and it takes all the officials to try and break that up. Austin knowing that he's been eliminated and Austin knowing that there's no referee to, 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 to confirm the elimination, he runs back in the ring. He dumps Undertaker and Vader. Brett dumps Diesel, not Kevin Nash, the fake Diesel, who was in that match. Yeah, I know. That was pretty silly, huh? And then dumps Brett. When he dumps Brett, all of a sudden the referees see it, and boom, Austin is your winner. Now, a lot changed on the road to WrestleMania for a number of guys because of this finish. Um, Brett, you kind of start to see the developments of the angry Bret Hart, which would eventually lead to him turning his back on America and forming the Hart Foundation yep. and becoming one of the best bad guys yep. at that time, you know? So, um, I mean, Brett's, Brett's WrestleMania, I mean, let's think about this here for a minute, okay? Austin eliminated Brett. Austin earned the title shot at WrestleMania. However... Because of the way the finish took place, w- <coughs> WWF President Gorilla Monsoon had changed Austin's opportunity to him having to defend that number one contendership in a final four match against Vader, Undertaker, and Brett the next month, yep. with the winner then becoming the undisputed number one contender to go to WrestleMania. Austin would end up losing that. Yep. And it would but he lost it. Yeah, he yeah, he ended up losing that. Now mind you, let me just backtrack a little bit here. Austin, Brett, Taker, Vader originally was supposed to be for the number one contendership. But then a few days before that, Shawn Michaels lost his smile and gave up the WWF championship, and it ended up being the final four match was for the title. Brett won the title. And then Brett would lose the title the next night to Sid. 
then it would set up Bret and Austin for WrestleMania, which we all know is that memorable match where Austin passed out, the blood streaming down his face in the sharpshooter. We saw the greatest double turn in the history of professional wrestling. Bret became a bad guy, and Austin became this yep. hero. I mean, not a not a bad follow-up for no. Bret as the runner-up of the Royal Rumble. I mean, he won the title and then had an amazing match with Austin. Like, and the character is... development just, like, was unbelievable and how he you know became this hero and then became this hated villain and it was just it was very compelling tv it was in my opinion it was better than the stuff they were doing on nitro with the the, the same old nwo beatdowns yeah for for every single True. week because wwf had to had to do something crazy to get the fans back to watching them instead of watching the nwo yeah and this was a crazy time for wrestling but they, but WWF handled it well. It was a, I don't want to use the word like tainted, but like it was kind of a weird rumble match in the sense that like, like you said, like Austin was eliminated. Yeah, and then came back in and won because yeah. <laughs> referees weren't paying attention. Like, was it a good finish? No. Was it a bad finish? No. It was just kind of like indifferent to me at least. Yeah. Um. But like you said, the follow, the build-up to Mania with so many different title changes in the span between Rumble and Mania, and then the match that Brett and Austin had at Mania, it like you said, it launched Austin's career and launched one of Bret Hart's better parts of his career. Yeah. Like his career, was already, his career was already established, obviously. Yeah. But like you said, he added a shelf life to it by turning bad. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, we could we could shelf and curb this and move on to the next year, or we could examine Brett. Let's say he won the rumble. You think he's getting? You, you think he's getting to Austin in the same way? You think that no. same result takes place? Nope. Him winning the Royal Rumble, him in Austin at WrestleMania. No. Okay. Yeah, I I, I would have to agree with you there. No, because I think, I think Bretton needed to lose that to get his edge yep. in a sense. Yeah, like that, like that trickle down effect happened because of the loss. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, no, so, you're, I, so you're okay with 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 Brett being the runner up because Brett, of the way yeah, the things absolutely. developed and planned. Yeah. And I lo- and I love Bret Hart. Like I, I've said, Michaels was in my top five. Brett's in my top five yeah. as well. Okay. So. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm right with you there. I mean, the way that the it turned out. I mean, it was it was confusing at times to 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 keep up with with you know Michaels winning the title, then having to drop it, then Brett won the title, but then Sid won the title, and then you know what I mean. Like everyone loses their title shots. Undertaker all of a sudden gets a title shot at WrestleMania, but he never won the Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. there was all different kinds of moving parts that were taking place um, in that match. I think and, that was because the WWF wanted to keep the fans guessing in the sense that like they would then tune into them rather than tune into. I think that, I think there's some truth to that. But I also think, too, that Michael's injury and the whole losing my smile and I hurt my knee and the politics that were taking place between him and Brett behind the scenes, I think that played a factor into a lot of the moving parts as well. But um, I I will have to say that um, a Bret Hart Royal Rumble victory 
at that time in 1997 wouldn't have done it wouldn't have done it for me um, because I was a big Shawn Michaels fan and I was also a big Steve Austin fan at that time. I liked bad guy Steve Austin as entertaining as Steve Austin was when he was a good guy and he was facing McMahon. I loved bad guy Steve Austin. Oh, yeah. There was just there was just some edge to him that was just it was cool. You know what I mean? Like it was really cool. But um, yeah, that's that's where I stand when it comes to 1997 and Bret the Hitman Hart. 1998, another Royal Rumble repeated winner back to back. Stone Cold Steve Austin winning the Royal Rumble, last eliminating The Rock. Rocky, now, who knows what could have happened had The Rock won that Royal Rumble. But um, I certainly didn't know or realize what I was watching at that time and what would have become in the rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock um, after Austin eliminated The Rock from that Royal Rumble. But if you go back and you remember, Rock loses, and he's the Intercontinental Champion at the time, but he's still engaged in that rivalry with Ken Shamrock. He would go on to WrestleMania that year to defend the Intercontinental title successfully over Ken Shamrock. Could you have bought in 1998 a a Royal Rumble victory for The Rock? Yes and no. Really? I mean... I think it might have been a little early for him. Yeah. But then again, if he won, would his greatness have just been that much longer? In a sense. Like, we would have gotten it beforehand when... Like, obviously, The Rock went on to become the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Let's be serious. Yep. I'll steal the phrase. Yeah, that's Um, Stolen. (laughs) And... Would we have gotten an extra year or two out of that? Um, I th- I don't know if he was ready. I mean, he was well on his way. Yes, I I'll say that. But um, I think anyone other than Stone Cold Steve Austin winning that Royal Rumble and going into WrestleMania the number one contender as hot as he was, as red hot as oh, he yeah. was, I think would have been seen as a major disappointment. So agreed. Um, but I think. And here's, and here's something, too, about Royal Rumble participants that has been brought up in in many different statistical aspects. You know, you have your runner-ups, but you also have, you know, the guys that, that, that go the distance that win. But you also have the guys that go the distance that don't win. Yeah. And that get, that get brought up a lot. A lot of people, you know... When I when when I go on like you know chat groups or whatever and they talk about Royal Rumbles that are coming up, they I remember last year there was like, well, who's going to go the Shawn Michaels distance, that, but don't win? You know what I mean? Yeah. Over the years, Shawn Michaels has gone the distance and not won. Um, John Morrison, <laughs> John Morrison at one point did it. Um, a number of guys, Got Jericho, Styles, yeah, AJ did it his first year in the Rumble, his debut. So I mean, you have. Guys that, you know, make a mark in the Rumble without winning. And I think that's what they did here with The Rock, is that he came in at number five or number six, I believe. And he went the distance and and uh, he was involved in like a little mini rivalry with Austin at that time. Um, but, you know, anyone winning other than Austin would have been seen as a disappointment considering the trajectory that Austin was on coming out of 1997. Almost losing his career with that neck injury yeah. to then returning and coming back and I just it it made the most sense for Austin to repeat and, and go on to WrestleMania to, to face the champion. So I'm 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 pretty cool with where the Rock stood in nineteen ninety eight as the yeah. runner up. Um nineteen ninety nine, an interesting year, um, with the Royal Rumble as uh 
You know, this time... Is Stone- the worst winner right here? Is this the worst winner? Um... It can be. I mean, you can argue that, yes, this is the worst winner. Um, Mr. McMahon won the 1999 Royal Rumble match uh, with some help from The Rock and the, and the corporation. Uh, the, the, the story heading into this Royal Rumble was, was that Austin had to enter at number one. Yep. And then Commissioner Shawn Michaels forced Mr. McMahon to enter in at number two. So they had no choice but to, to be in the ring with each other. And then Vince put a $100,000 bounty on Austin and that whoever eliminates Austin from the Rumble match will then collect $100,000. Gotta love the power money. <laughs> so the story goes is that Austin you know, puts a beating on Vince early on in the match. They make their way through the audience and into the, the concession area, only for Austin to get ambushed in the bathroom by the rest of the corporation, leaving him out of the match for a majority of the time, which signaled Vince's exit from the match. You, you fast forward later on in the evening and in the match, and Vince returns to sit on commentary to watch the rest of the Rumble, and all of a sudden, Austin returns. He was never eliminated. Sure. And Austin makes his way into the match, eliminating guys left and right. Vince is you know, still on commentary throughout the whole process. Austin finally eliminates the big boss man, and then he... Grabs Vince from the commentary booth, brings him back in the ring, and continues that beating that he started at the, at the beginning of the Rumble match, only for The Rock to show up, who had just won the WWF Championship from Mankind in that unbelievable I Quit match where oh, he yeah. nailed Foley in the head 13 times with a chair while he was handcuffed. Um, and so... uh Bad Rock. Yeah, I know. It was wild. And so... Uh, Story goes, Austin thinks he's got Vince down. Rock shows up, gets involved on the apron. Austin's messing around with Rock on the apron. Vince all of a sudden dumps Austin over, and Vince McMahon is your winner of the Royal Rumble match. Now, this it, it, it can be regarded as the worst winner of the Royal Rumble match, but at the same time, with the way that the story was going with Austin and Vince, it was a nice little twist, oh, yeah. and it made for an interesting path to WrestleMania. Um, because we knew Vince wasn't getting in the title match. No. I mean, so we knew at some point there was going to have to be some sort of... Uh, Trickle down effect. Yeah, you know, where he was going to give up the title shot or they were going to set up a tournament of some kind to determine who was going to face the champion. Uh, Austin's path to WrestleMania was... was um, Rather interesting, and I was kind of glad that they went this route as a kid because um, as much as I liked Austin, I don't know if I could have been able to deal with a three-peat Royal Rumble victory yeah, from him three years in a row. So uh, I will say that um, you know Austin eventually would you know get his opportunity at the title. Um, he had to beat Vince in the cage the following month at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view, and then he ended up getting the opportunity to face The Rock and beating The Rock for the WWF Championship. Great match. So I feel like, and I'll I'll let you speak on this, and I'll wrap up my uh, long-winded explanation, but I feel like an Austin victory in the Royal Rumble would have done nothing for him because even when he lost, most people felt... Vince ain't getting the title yeah, shot. Yeah, never. Knew. Austin's gonna ha- Austin's gonna find a way to get it back, and he eventually did. So yeah. it wouldn't have done anything for Austin to win the Rumble and then go on to WrestleMania. If anything else, it would have probably made the buildup that much more predictable, and probably would would have as hot as the WWF was during that time period. It might have tuned some people out. True, and I I agree. I I mean, having Vince win just 
like stoked the fire between the rivalry between Vince and Austin. Yeah. In which case, that was great for the business. So I when I say worst winner, I'm just talking about like wrestling wise. I'm not yeah. talking about like yeah, storyline yeah. wise. I'm not talking like No, I gotcha, yeah. He ain't a wrestler. He's, no, he's, he's not he's, he's a the, chairman. He's yeah. the chairman, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he he created wrestling, let's be serious. Yeah. Like I mean, I mean not create like you know what I mean. He put it on the map. Exactly. Yeah. But him winning over Austin, like you said, Vince wasn't wrestling in the main event for the title at Mania. Let's be serious. We all knew that. This just made the storyline of Austin getting, basically like pick him, picking himself up and getting, willing himself into that WrestleMania title match that much cooler. Yeah. Like, everyone knew it was going to happen, but it was still cool to sit back and watch it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think they made the right call, like you said, I no one's ready for a three P in the Royal Rumble. We weren't. We didn't want the three P when Hogan went for it in the early nineties. We didn't want it with Austin in the late nineties. Like, yeah. it's a good way to bookend the two the decade right there by not wanting a three P and then not wanting a three P again. Yeah, yeah that's, so that's a good point. That's a good point. As uh, as we move on to the next year, the year two thousand, uh, the individual who cost Steve Austin that Royal Rumble victory in nineteen ninety nine would eventually become. The Royal Rumble winner in the year 2000, that being The Rock. Uh, and The Rock was head and shoulders above all else heading into that Rumble match, the clear-cut favorite. Yep. To the point where they even made a storyline where the big show was kind of dis- felt disrespected that all the attention was being put on The Rock and that he, being the former WWF champion, should have gotten some of that attention heading oh, yeah. into that Royal Rumble match and that he was going to cross paths with The Rock and be the guy to eliminate The Rock. Well, story... Story goes that Big Show technically did eliminate The Rock. Um, As Big Show was looking to throw The Rock over the top rope, The Rock used all that momentum and held on to the top rope. And with both feet hitting the floor, Big Show, with both of The Rock's feet hitting the floor, I should say, and all the momentum of Big Show trying to throw Rock over, his body went over the top rope and he was eliminated. We would find out later in the camera angle that Rock's feet did touch first, but the referee didn't see it because Big Show's body was kind of blocking the referee's view from the you know from from the Rock. So the Rock would win, and the Big Show would be the runner-up. Now, in 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 terms of 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 kayfabe here, Big Show's got a legitimate gripe, oh, even as a bad guy, you know. And as much as we all love the Rock. You can look at it as a tainted victory. Well, they capitalized on that and used it in a storyline for Rock and Big Show to face off at No Way Out for the number one contendership. Yeah, sure. No Way Out actually happened in uh, Hartford, Connecticut and uh, on February the 27th, 2000. I was at that pay-per-view. It was my first pay-per-view I ever went to, nice. which was a lot of fun, which... There's a good chance we're going to be covering that here on Kicking Out at 2 in the very near future, so stay tuned for that. Still not sure yet. I might save it for another time, but I might bring it out this this year. Who knows? But anyhow, um, the this was another year where the the path of the runner-up was very um, roller coaster like because Big Show would end up defeating The Rock at No Way Out with a little bit of help from Shane McMahon, and he would secure his spot in the main event of WrestleMania. But he wasn't the only one that was a part of the main event of WrestleMania. Mick Foley, who 
lost a retirement match at No Way Out 2000 in a Hell in a Cell match that same evening to Triple H when he was Cactus Jack, yep. would come out of retirement six weeks later and God, would get an opportunity at the championship. The Rock was then inserted into the match. And, of course, you had Hunter as the champion, and then they build it as uh, a McMahon in every corner um, at WrestleMania, the fatal four-way for the WWF Championship, WrestleMania 2000. Um Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on that finish, the roller coaster ride that they all went on to Mania, and would, would Big Show have been a good candidate to win the Royal Rumble that year, or was he fine in the position that he was in? I think he was fine in the position that he was in. I honestly think this was, I, they'll never admit it, but I kind of think this was a botched finish. In the sense that, like... I think so, too. I think the fact that they were trying, like, the whole, like, oh, one foot touching the ground probably thing with, like, HBK. But the fact is, with Rock hanging on and Big Show toppling over him, that's a lot of weight to, like... Rock would have had to, like, basically put all of his absolute might into, like, not having both feet touched down as a 500-pound dude was falling on top of him. Like, let's be serious. I think it was a botched finish. And I think they made the best of it by having the build-up, having the match at, uh, this, uh, in Hartford with them fighting, and for the shot for the title. Like I think they made the best of a botched situation. And, I mean, it would have been cool to see what could have happened with, like, the, uh, with Big Show... Winning the match, like, like evidently, like, not having the botch finish or anything and having to see him go, like, having a one-on-one match at Mania. But, like you said, the Fatal 4-Way with the McMahons in the corners was a good match. It wasn't great. Yeah. But it was a cool concept at the time. I, I liked the, 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 as a fan, I mean, I was a big rock guy. And as a fan... As, as disappointing as it was and as shocking as it was when he lost and Big Show won, no, I'm not talking about the Rumble, but the yeah, No Way Out match, yeah. the story of like how all these four, all these guys got to Mania and the roller coaster of earning title shots and losing title shots and McMahon's getting involved and this one's screwing that and the other and the family squabble. Like, Why can't I remember who was in? I mean, obviously Steph was in Triple H's corner. Linda was in Mix. Okay. Vince was in Vince was in Rocks and Rocks. Shane was in Big Shows. Okay. Yeah. And uh so yeah, I mean we as a fan I was like it was Destination TV. I mean they were doing so much better than WCW at that time that you know I wasn't really paying attention to WCW yeah. TV but it was just even though I knew I wouldn't say even though I knew but even though I used to try and keep up with the rumors and see what the storylines were going to be on the internet it was still fun to watch how it developed. Yeah. So I feel like, looking back on it now, it was probably the right move for The Rock to win and do that whole storyline where he won the Rumble and Big Show technically really won. And they, even though, like you said, it was a botch, and I do agree with you, I think it was a botch, yeah. and they and they realized it quickly and capitalized on it Absolutely. quickly. You know what I mean? They didn't stall, which was good. Um, I think it was probably the right decision and the right path to go yeah. for these individuals. As we make it into the home stretch with the last three here on this part one of our Royal Rumble runner-up retrospective. Second place 
is the first loser when it comes to being a runner-up in the Royal Rumble matches. We go to 2001, which was a record-setting year for this runner-up, and I'm talking about Kane. Kane would lose to Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin being the first and only person to this date to win three Royal Rumble matches. This was Austin's victory. Four-year span. Yeah, after he, after he had... Um, Austin had lost, uh, or Austin, Austin was out of action, I should say, with a neck injury, coming back, and this was his march to WrestleMania and his redemption for the title. Um, and Kane, in this match, went through 11 guys, a third of the field, in the Royal Rumble match, eliminating them, setting a record at that time, which would eventually be broken by uh, Roman Reigns in 2014, and then that would eventually... Um, be broken by uh, Braun Strowman in that Saudi Arabian Royal Rumble, yeah. which I'm not counting no. in this count. I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not counting that either. I didn't, I didn't count that. As in soon this, as you it, said that, I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember that. And then yeah. you said Saudi Arabia. I was like, yeah, all right. Yeah. In the land of Saudi Arabia, with all due respect, that could be that could be a part yeah, of their Royal their, Rumble history, but it's but it's it's not a, it's that's not a part. Yeah, that's that's their record. That's not our. Record. Yeah. Plus, they had 50 guys in that Rumble. This is the 30 man. Yeah. So, um, Kane dominated the field. It took a lot for Austin to to get him out, but he eventually did. And I'll just I'll just come right out and say it. I'm okay with Kane being the runner up because of all he did during that rumble oh, match. I don't, I don't feel like it didn't hurt his career at it, all. It, didn't it actually I think it helped his career. I, I think it, I think him eliminating eleven guys was bigger than him if say like he eliminated three guys and he won. Yeah. Like, I think that was bigger for him. Yeah. And I even think, too, that, like, in 2001, him winning the Royal Rumble would have kind of been a head-scratcher for me because he wasn't, at that time, really in the title picture. He was just... Kane was, in some sense, a utility player. player. He was Taker's he, he brother. Was, he was Undertaker's <laughs> brother, and he, and he basically, you know, would work wherever they put him, whether it was in a tag team or in a, in a mid-card singles role. Kane was... Kane fit anywhere. Would I say that Kane... Winning the Royal Rumble would have been helpful to him. I'm sure it would have, but I think that, like yeah. you said, that record of him eliminating guys and losing probably was better for him than 100%. him winning the Royal Rumble and coming up short. That much more, especially invincible. with the way that Austin was and the path that he was on, because he was just returning and it was all about redemption. And yeah, he, he, the he, he needed that victory way more than Kane did. Yeah, even though as a kid I was kind of disappointed, I was kind of hoping for like. Honestly, I was kind of hoping for like, um, like uh, uh, the Rock to win. Maybe, maybe him kind of doing a two peat a little bit to him to to get to True. WrestleMania. But um, I was cool with under with, with Austin there. But yeah, Kane, I'm, I, I was I was okay with uh, with yeah. him as the runner up. You got any thoughts before? No, we I completely agree. I think this just solidified Kane as a like not uh, probably a top echelon guy at the time. I yeah. mean, he was he like you said he was. He did whatever needed to be done. Yeah. He was Taker's brother, and I think this kind of, I don't want to say, like, got him out of that shadow, but, like, in the sense that, like, he was that force that people talked about. He was talked about after that match more than any other runner-up has been in a while, I think. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Um let, 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 we're down to the, you know, like I said, we're in the home stretch. We're down to the final two. 2002, 
Triple H made his return and uh, from that almost career-threatening uh, quadriceps tear to enter the Royal Rumble. And this was the, the Royal Rumble where um, it was the first one after the Invasion storyline. They were kind of regrouping yep. before we would eventually get to the brand extension. And uh, Triple H came back, and he was the heavy favorite, ended up winning, eliminating Kurt Angle. Now... Um, this was a pretty heavy rumble in terms of star power. You had Austin, you had Undertaker, you had Triple H, you had Kurt Angle, you had uh, the return of Mr. Perfect, you had yeah. the Big Show, you had Booker T, you had Rob Van Dam. Um, you had a list of like really big names that were a part, you know, at the time in the WWF um, in 2002. And it, it, this is another rumble where, similar to Austin. I think Triple H's character had to win this. It was a, it was a oh, good yeah. co- it was a good comeback story. Yep. And I just remember when Triple H returned at the Garden that night in in it was January the seventh of two thousand and two. He returned on Monday Night Raw in Madison Square Garden. He got that thunderous pop, oh, yeah. which is still talked about to this day. And Kurt Angle confronted him. I just remember sitting around my buddies watching Raw. I was like, it's going to come down to those two in the Rumble. oh yeah, you you knew it was yeah. like you said like. It was built up from that Monday Night Raw, and I mean, we all knew it, but we all wanted it. Yeah. So it, for Hunter to win, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't want Kurt to win. Now, do you th- now do you, do you think a Kurt Angle victory would have would have helped? No. Okay. I mean, I think that Kurt was in the like annoying loser role perfectly. Yeah. Like he 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 embraced that role to perfection. Yeah. <laughs> like. That was Kurt, the whiny, like, oh, like, it should have been me, why wasn't it me, like, I think Trips was the way to go, and it was a fitting end with him eliminating Kurt. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. I, I really don't have any complaints in terms of, uh, you know, Kurt Angle's trajectory as a runner-up, um, or him even not winning the Royal Rumble. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was, a, I was a Triple H guy at the time, and so uh, the the comeback story it just made all the sense in the world for him to uh, to to win the Royal Rumble that year, and for Kurt, ironically, to be the guy that he throws out with all the history that those two characters have. Oh, yeah. um, Kurt Angle didn't have the greatest path following it. Um, he was involved in the title picture a little bit. Um, but he would end up defeating Triple H and becoming the temporary number one contender after um, the McMahon family forced Triple H to put that title shot on the line. He would win it no way out that year. But somehow, I don't remember exactly how Triple H got that back. I think they had another match, and he yeah. got the he got the win back, and he ended up getting the shot at Mania. And you know, there was that roller coaster year in you know, the roller coaster time in between Rumble and Mania, where title shots at WrestleMania are still undetermined. We thought Hunter was getting it, then. Angle got it, but then Hunter got it yeah. back. So um, Kurt would end up wrestling Kane at WrestleMania that year, which was, um, I'll be honest with you, I don't, you, I don't know if you remember this, but um, when they when 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 they were getting WrestleMania set, you had the you had the NWO Hogan Hall and Nash show up, and yep. that was huge. And it took was that the first Hogan uh, Rock match? Yeah, the yeah. very first one. I got the first one. and. He ended up they the NWO really shook things up in terms of the build up for WrestleMania. And Kurt Angle, who was a major player at that time, I think the NWO's presence kind of knocked his status down just a little bit because they put him in that match with Kane. But I'll never forget um, 
I believe the storyline heading into that match with Kurt Angle and Kane was that Angle was upset that he lost that opportunity to Triple H, and so he took it out on the next person he could find, and that was Kane. And I'll never forget, it was a SmackDown, and this was the first time that I saw the Kurt Angle character show more aggression than he usually did, where yeah. he like took Kane out, gave him an angle slam through the announce table, even gave him the ankle lock, and I was like... And you were like surprised. I was I surprised, mean, I was shocked. It, and it was good, and I was like, oh man, I'm like... Now these two are going to wrestle at WrestleMania. I might be interested in this match. Yeah. And granted, it wasn't the best match in the world at WrestleMania. No, but, but it wasn't terrible. But it wasn't terrible either. But, I mean, Kurt Angle played the good, like, sore loser yeah. being the being the, the runner-up in the Royal Rumble that year in 2002. Absolutely. As we now, we, we, we've made it. Home stretch, um, part one. Um, our last Royal Rumble runner-up comes in 2003. Uh it was in 2003. This was the first Royal Rumble match of the brand extension where the winner, um, there was two world titles. Yep. Now, this this was interesting because they've always changed it up a little bit um, over the, the, the next few years when it comes to the Royal Rumble winner and the championship opportunity. This, this year in particular, in 2003, they advertised 15 Raw superstars, 15 SmackDown superstars. The winner would face their respective cha- brand's champion. Yeah, they didn't get to choose this one. They didn't get to choose. Um, and so it came down to Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And Brock Lesnar just easily tossed Undertaker out within a matter of minutes. Yeah. Um, Undertaker had made his return in the Royal Rumble match. I believe he entered at number three. 29 or 30 and i think brock was, was late yeah yeah brock was late too as well i want to say brock was i, I want to say undertaker was 30 and brock was 29 i could be i could yeah, be mistaken um but anyhow uh nothing really to write home about with this this was another rumble victory where i kind of expected this was the the path they were going to go and brock had to beat big show earlier in the night to get into the rumble match and uh he establishes that victory by beating an established guy in Undertaker, who they had history with each other months prior, the Hell in the Cell match yeah. at No Mercy, and the storyline that they had in the fall of 2002. So um, Brock was a good guy at the Royal Rumble at this point, um, eliminating Undertaker, and you kind of had that show of respect. Brock would eventually go on to win the title and beat Kurt Angle at that year's WrestleMania in 2003, WrestleMania 19, whereas Undertaker was resuming his issues with Paul Heyman and the Big Show, uh, having uh, a series of matches with Big Show, one at the No Way Out pay-per-view, becoming successful there, and then the handicap match at WrestleMania that year against Big Show and A-Train. Oh, that's right. Now, I was literally trying to remember who the... Uh... Who show's partner was. Uh, yeah, Undertaker was supposed to team with uh, Nathan Jones, that yeah. Australian wrestler. Yeah, and, didn't he get like, super nervous or something like that? And was um, that the story? That, like, I, I, he, think, like, I think they what they did was they... Um, what they did... Oh, they, um, they did a storyline before, like on the pre-show, where like the FBI, the full-blooded Italians, Nunzio and Palumbo and Stamboli, they, they attacked... Um, Nathan Jones in the locker room and he was taken out and so Undertaker couldn't find a partner and he had to go it alone but then Nathan Jones showed up at the end of that match and gave like this god awful helicopter spinning heel kick to like Big Show or, or, or uh, A-Train or whoever and then Undertaker tombstoned A-Train for the victory but they, they would, and 
it was during the match. There wasn't there wasn't a no disqualification stipulation, but they didn't announce Nathan Jones as the winner with Undertaker. It was it was like really very convoluted and strange, but um, it was also. Uh, yeah, Nathan Jones didn't really last very long. No. As a matter of fact, I can tell you a funny story I just uh, found out recently uh, through uh, my old buddy Ken, Ken Reedy from the Ken Reedy Show. We, uh, he told me a story through um, – he's good buddies with Nunzio from the FBI. Okay. They live in like the same town or whatever, and they've developed a friendship these last few years. So Nunzio was telling him a story that about Nathan Jones, and apparently they were doing a um, – they were doing a tour of Australia, and that's where Nathan Jones was from. And he had never been in the wrestling business before, and it was just starting to get to him to travel and being away from home. That like, they all took like a um, a, a charter plane to to do this tour in Australia. And on the plane, Nathan Jones was like, "That's it, I quit, I'm done." And he literally got off the plane and he went home, like <laughs> like, <laughs> and he went home, wow. and that was and that was it, and they were done. And it was. Uh, he just couldn't take it anymore. He cracked. He just, he, I guess, he couldn't handle the wrestling business. Well, that's what I heard about the WrestleMania thing. I thought I heard that like he like had a, like a, like breakdown like backstage. That could have been the case and that too. Was, that was one of the reasons why they took him out of the like not obviously the match entirely, but I heard that was one of the reasons. That that could be the case too. I, I honestly don't remember hearing that, but I'm but I'm I'm not denying that that couldn't yeah. have happened as well. But um, this is another case of you know. It made sense for Brock to win this and oh, yeah. Undertaker winning this Royal Rumble. Okay, at that time he never won a Royal Rumble before, but he didn't need it. He didn't need it because he was he was on the other. He, he had he had I wouldn't say bigger fish to fry, but he, he he had bigger fish to fry with Big Show. Oh yeah, I mean this was the this was the right move in establishing Brock by not hurting Taker. Yeah, like this this did nothing to hurt Taker's career. But this started, I'm not going to say started Lesnar's, like, dominance, but kind of. Yeah. yeah. Kind of got him on the map a little bit by beating Taker. Like, if he beat anyone else, would the victory have been as good? Uh, no. Not too many people. No. Yeah. And that rumble wasn't as, like, star-heavy. No. So I think, like, establishing Lesnar's road to the title by eliminating Undertaker, who had just returned, I think definitely helped him for sure. Um, yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I want to uh, I want to thank you for uh, helping me... Uh, you know, go down this list of uh, all the all the, uh, the the rumble losers, and uh, stay tuned next week as uh, you know we're gonna go part two. We're gonna go 2004 to 2018. Second place is the first loser. Royal Rumble runner-up retrospectives. Also, don't forget to check me out later this week on Marking Out the Days. That's right, Kicking Out at 2, collaborating with Kobe Nida and Retromania as we give you the important and not-so-important moments in professional wrestling history on that given date. The date will be January the 10th. We'll be covering some old Nitros, some old Monday Night Raws. We'll even be covering a few birthdays we have planned. So check it out. You can find that under Retromania on iTunes. You can also find it at Moho radio.com and we also will be 
putting that show on the Kicking Out at 2 stream here on SoundCloud.com. So stay tuned for that as well. I'll have that up later this week. But uh, yeah, Kobe and I marking out the days January 10th in professional wrestling history. And don't forget to hit us up on social media, Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at 2. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have hit that like button, tell a friend who loves retro throwback pro wrestling banter at its finest. Pictures, videos, debates, discussions, memes, gifs, gifs, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's all over there at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. We are also on Twitter. Same kind of fun and madness and bullshit and all kinds of crazy stuff we're doing on Facebook. We're doing it on Twitter, but 140 characters or less. You can give us a follow. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. Like I said, same fun, same bullshit, same madness that we got going on on Facebook, but 140 characters or less. All right. I think it's about that time that we wrap it up. I think we, instead of putting the show down for the three count, I think it's time we take this show and we throw it over the top rope and both feet land on the floor and we will see you all next week.